The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron Ears. Mark 7 production. <laughs> Arthur Rank Bong. <laughs> uh, this is the podcast where we do lists here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for the rap, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I contribute to Slash Film. I'm a senior, senior staff writer. Yes. Very fancy. Slash film. Very fancy. And uh, and these and welcome to our long one. <laughs> this is the long. This is the long podcast. You know, you know, to some podcasters, all of our podcasts would be considered the long one. I suppose so. We 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 we, we can bring an hour out of you know random Godzilla movies. Th- there was a time when we first started podcasting, when we would try to keep it to a tight thirty forty five. And then, which was our, the this was the early tens. That was yeah. a mandate at the time. Uh, that yeah. was seriously what people said. This is what you should do. That's what people expect of a podcast. And then our listeners just said, hey, "Don't don't cut yourself off. Keep going. Keep going just until you ram- run out." And I'm like, ramble. "You don't yeah. you, you don't know us. <laughs> we'll keep going." Oh, we are windbags. Oh yes, and that's that's why you're here because your commute is very long, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. You're commuting Thank you. from Los Angeles to Phoenix. Well, well done. Now, if you're a long commute in Los Angeles is commuting from Los Angeles to, to West Hollywood, Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Every, everywhere in Los Angeles is a minimum of forty-five minutes away, even if it's one mile away. It's insane. I don't know how it happens. Anyway, uh, this is the podcast where we do lists here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, we ask our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network uh, to help us pick a topic. Sometimes Whitney and I supply all the topics. Sometimes we have a poll. Uh, or, or rather, we, 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 we always have a poll. Sometimes we take suggestions, <laughs> and uh, then we t- pick our favorites or the ones that we think would make uh, uh, the best episode, and then people vote on that. Sometimes people vote on the ideas that we had. Uh, this is kind of a special episode. It's our 50th Iron List. We don't tend to do special things for our anniversaries, because... Not, not really. Yeah. Honestly, we, we should probably have take more pride in ourselves. Uh, you know what? We just keep on moving forward is yeah. what we do. Uh, we don't need to do special anniversaries or mm. tournaments of champions to keep you going. If, if, Did you know that Jeopardy is on its fifth straight month of tournament play? It's getting a little five tiresome. months? Five straight months. How many How many people? They they, they ins- did their, like... nuts. Their, uh, like... They did uh, this show called The Champion's Wild Card. Okay. Which is like three straight months where they're taking past champions yeah. and having them go through this like quarterfinal like and semifinal. Yeah. And, um, 
game after game after game, yeah. and getting them uh, like a spot in the Tournament of Champions. And the Tournament of Champions is just now starting. Oh my god! And then they're going to do something called like the Jeopardy Inter- Invitational after that. Oh my god! It's like when do we just get back to the game? It's 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 like the well, last I want, I want, like six months of the Schmodown. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's like, like a few months where anything can happen, and the rest of it is just tournaments. Wild. Um, well, in any case, uh, uh, it is our 50th anniversary of the Iron List, and we we had a couple of novelty uh, possibilities. We had best movies from 50 years ago. I think that was one of our options. Best movies from 1950 was one of the options. But our patrons are feeling a little impish <laughs> because they it's selected a little, a little devilish, if you might, you might say. Mm. Why is it you can never find devil's food anymore? They used to have devil's food cookies. They don't call it devil's food. It's yeah. just dark chocolate cake now. No, well, no, then I lost all interest. Anyway, we're doing devil movies. Uh, these are movies uh, that feature the devil or are about the devil in some way. Uh, now, as always, there's a few things that we do that not every other list show uh, does. Uh, the one thing that we do different that's the biggest thing we do different is Whitney and I do not rank uh, our list. Uh, if it's made our top ten, these are movies that are highly recommended and putting number seven ahead of number eight feels kind of pointless. We want you to see all these movies. Yes. Uh, however, our number one is our number one. That is, if you if you said, hey, what is the best devil movie? You have to stand by this choice. Mm. What would you pick? That would be our number one. So our number one matters. Our number two through ten are a tie. That's right. Uh, the other thing that we do is... We don't really talk about the criteria ahead of time. There's no, we, f- we come up with our own individually yeah. and put restrictions on ourselves however we see fit. Yeah. There have been a few exceptions to that rule here and there when it was like a really broad topic or like something, but generally speaking, we have our own criteria. My criteria for devil movies, first off, non-denominational devil. Okay. Doesn't have to be a Catholic devil or it could be any, any sort of... Uh, embodiment of evil that okay. is uh, either supernatural or implied to be supernatural uh, in nature. Okay, not, to, not just a bad person. It's got to be wicked. Mm. Um, uh, and the devil, in, in my estimation, has to appear in some way, mm. or it needs to revolve around the devil in a tangible yeah. way, so that the devil is a presence. It's not theoretical. This is a devil. Movie. If you're interested in seeing a movie about the devil, you you might be looking for something specific, but this is definitely a devil movie. Yeah. What about you? What were your criteria? Uh, sam- similar. Um, okay. My my devil movies did have to be explicitly religious. Okay. Uh, because Satan <clears throat> is a religious figure. Satan comes yeah. from uh, religious lore. Um, it's it, you know Satan is a character from the Bible. Uh, mm. Satan is a character. That is often translated as the adversary. Uh, That's a cool name. The adversary. That's where you sound like a supervillain. <laughs> um, sadly, I didn't see that film. Um, what, what was it? Um, Lost, de- Lost in the Desert, the one with Ewan McGregor. Last Days in the Last Desert. Last Days in the Desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is about. Actually, we're in the period right now, a period of Lent. Uh, oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, it's mm. about the 40 days that uh, Christ was lost in the desert and was tempted by Satan, and Satan was also played by Ewan McGregor. Oh, wait, is that what Lent is? It's the it's the 40 days that Jesus decided not to eat? Was fasting in the desert, yes. Okay. It's, that's what... I didn't realize... I knew, that's, I knew... That's what a lot of Christians do. They they give up something, oh, I get usually it. a kind of fast. No, yeah. no, no, no. I, I understood the premise. I just fasting is like... There's a lot of reasons to fast in yeah, history yeah. or whatever. I didn't realize that was... Wow. Uh, in case you weren't 
Sure, so, I was you... not raised very Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I I was the child. This this is a because we're going to be talking about religion. Mm. Uh, my parents were both lapsed Catholics, which means I was basically raised agnostic and grew mm. into an atheist. Yeah. Um, I have I have the utmost respect for uh, religion, at least in principle. Not everybody, I think, practices it in a healthy mm. way, but in general, I think religion is a very uh, can be a very good thing. It's not for me. Uh, but I'm very interested in religion as uh, uh, a framework, a cultural framework, uh, a narrative framework. There are certainly, even if you don't belong to key religions, there are certainly aspects of it that, you know, they impact our narrative fiction. They impact uh, what we compare things to. What uh, And indeed, the devil, even if you don't believe in the devil... You understand the basic premise. It's pretty universal by now. Just the idea that there's a, some supernatural bad guy who wants to get you. Yeah. You know? Want, wants, to, wants to make you do bad t things. Tempt you, influence you to uh, yeah. commit, indulge in vices, commit sins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do do acts of cruelty. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a reason why in you know the old cartoons the uh, the character would always face a moral quandary, and uh, an angel and a devil would appear on their shoulders. Right. These guys like sort of moral shorthand. Yeah. The angel representing you know the temptation to do something very very good, and the yeah. devil tempting you to, to do the cruel thing. And then you're in the middle, so I guess you're purgatory. Your your balance. You uh, you you have free will. Okay. So you have you know, the ability to choose. I, I, that's feel, the like, I feel like there should humanity. be more than two choices, but that's okay. Oh, I mean, it's a cartoon. It's just... <laughs> Come on, Tom and Jerry, <laughs> deal with some moral complexity, why don't you? And then and then Amy Poehler playing Joy appears above your head, and then yeah. all the other emotions from inside out. I uh, know. Um, mine were yeah. Satan had to be uh, either in the movie or present in the movie. Like, okay. Talked about a lot. Uh, or, uh, mm. and yeah, it also had to be this explicitly religious figure. Okay. And also my third criterion was, uh, it can't be the exorcist, the omen or Rosemary's baby because you've seen those movies. Mm -hmm. You don't need me to talk about those movies. Right. Uh, those movies have been written about ad infinitum. They've mm -hmm. been remade. There's sequels to all those movies. Yes. Even Rosemary's baby. And, uh, mm -hmm. And I, I don't need to address them. I just, I'll, I'll say I'm up front. Mm -hmm. You should see The Exorcist. You should. You should see Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm. You should see The Omen. The Omen's kind of like the trashy one of the three. Yeah, The Omen's the very, still... the, the, the Hollywood yeah, blockbuster it's... kind of version. But I, I none but of those it... movies are on my list either. Oh, and okay. Because to me, by my way of thinking, you have to, there has to be a cutoff somewhere. Those aren't devil movies. Mm -hmm. Those are supernatural thrillers. Those are indeed movies about demons and hell. But none of those characters are specifically the devil. Because the, the, the exorcist is explicitly the devil. Uh, it's especially a demon. Pazuzu is not the devil. It, they don't say Pazuzu until the exorcist two. I understand that. In an exorcist one, mm. they're really vague about whether it's the devil or just some supernatural entity. They is never it, explicitly it, say it's the devil. The demon is a liar. I, he lies that, to trick us. I understand yeah. that. That you're telling me that other, with the exception of the devil, all the other demons are really trustworthy. Uh, that the this, book this, makes it very. It shows that it's very vague. This is true, but the you know? idea of there being a hierarchy yeah. of uh, holy people and unholy creatures, mm -hmm. that that's a really Catholic concept. It is. It is. Yeah, the idea that there's ranks with, throughout the church, and the higher you mm -hmm. ascend in the ranks, the closer you are to God. Yeah. That's a Catholic thing. Yeah. Um, and it's a Catholic movie. Yeah. To be fair. It's, uh, uh, you got a priest on the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, a eh, little bit 
a little bit. They it say is. hail Satan. They do. No, they do say hail Satan, but it's mostly uh, for me. It's about the mystery and the suspense, not so much about the the, the right. devil specifically, because she's not being tempted by the devil. She's uh, although maybe I guess maybe that one probably should have right. qualified. And then the omen is about the devil's kid. It's the Antichrist. Yeah, I realize that, but that doesn't mean it's about the devil. <laughs> okay. Now, does it? I'm, that's, I'm that's, like, that's like saying, "Hey, what's your favorite uh, uh, Martha Kent movie?" Uh, Superman? It's his, it's her son, I guess. I don't know. Okay, I'm interested of... to hear, because if, if there's no anti <laughs> Also, um, yeah. cults and witches I kind of kept off of my list, mm-hmm. for the most part, because yeah. uh, you know those are worshippers of Satan, but witches, I think, uh, constitute a different kind of subgenre right. of, of horror films. There are different kinds of movies. And, and oftentimes, uh, they're, non, uh, they're non-specific about whether the cult is... Real, like the, the supernatural is real in those circumstances. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, unless, maybe, maybe it isn't. Uh, I actually have some witch films on my list, but Satan is in them, mm-hmm. so um, that that counts in my. Okay, in my, fair, in my no, list. fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, The Exorcist, The Omen, and Rosemary's Baby. Watch those movies. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen them already. You We're do not, not going to be us to recommend them to you. Uh, I am, however, going to start. Okay. By, rec- by recommending The Exorcist 3. Uh, <laughs> I love The Exorcist 3. Oh <laughs> my god in heaven. Uh, the Exorcist is one of my favorite horror movies. It's, yeah. it's one of the greatest horror movies. Uh, it's un- unbearably terrifying. And I'm not even Catholic. Yeah. Uh, uh, then they made The Exorcist 2, which is trash. It is a horrible film. <laughs> it, it's, got, uh, it's got ideas, I'll give it that. But yeah, they're it's not got racist ideas is what well, it has. It, uh, it's, it does. I was thinking more along the lines of like the weird sci-fi so psychology and there's, yeah, there's like a science fiction element to it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the idea of The Exorcist uh, 2 is uh, they brought Re- Regan is back, played by Linda Blair, mm-hmm. and she... Uh, goes into this like weird sci-fi hypnosis lab mm-hmm. where they have these weird blinking light machines and they wire up your brains and mm-hmm. they hypnotize her to send her back to the time when she was possessed to see mm-hmm. if they can figure out more about the demon. Yeah. And in so doing, they kind of like bring it back, siphon the demon back yeah. into her brain and they have to exercise her again. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Not good. And, and yeah, and, um, who it was, uh, Richard Burton who played the yeah it was Richard Burton Richard, Richard Burton. Burton was the priest in that one yeah and like he starts having like these weird visions of like mm-hmm. a locust man played by James Earl Jones mm-hmm. and it's it's all really stupid and they say oh no it wasn't the Satan it was this African demon called Pazuzu mm-hmm. and oh gosh why don't we tap into like white suburban fear of Africans that's it's terrible it's terrible mm-hmm. messaging. The Exorcist 3, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original novel... Yep. And uh, wrote the screenplay and won an Oscar. He wrote the screenplay, screenplay and, and, and uh, I've read the novel, and I love the novel. Great, great book. Uh, Pretty faithful adaptation, He came too. back and he wrote uh, The Exorcist 3, which was originally called Legion. Mm. And the idea is, Satan isn't just a being. Uh, it, it's a lot... It's like this myriad, this combined mm. being mm-hmm. that stretches across all of humanity. Mm. It's a representation of everyone's iniquities, everybody's immorality. So yeah. it, it becomes... The, dev, the devil in that movie is much more abstract. Yeah. There's an exorcist exorcism scene in it, and mm. there's a, a person who's possessed, but it's... Kind of an afterthought, really. Uh, yeah, that happens, like, really near the end of the movie. And indeed, uh, William Peter Blatty didn't want to put that in there. That was a studio man. Yeah, it's and like, you uh, call it the exorcist. We need exorcism. We need exorcism. There's yeah. no, and honestly... It doesn't bug me because it does kind of, like, give you something like a climax... I've seen like the mm. director's cut or what they were able to restore of a director's cut, and honestly, 
I don't think it works quite as well as the theatrical mm-hmm. cut, just because I think that was like edited and refined until yeah. they got the pacing just right. Yeah. But no, uh, you, yeah, you can tell that William Peter Blatty when he was making The Exorcist Three was really was trying really hard to imitate Friedkin because mm. uh, William Friedkin did the first movie, so yeah. he has that same kind of uh, pacing, that same kind of silent tone. Yeah, uh, like there's a, a lot of silence in the movie, which mm. in both in both the first and the third, and uh, and I I appreciate that because he's doing that style. But he has so many weird new ideas, it starts to turn into something really dreamlike after oh, a while. Oh, it's very dreamlike. Yeah, uh, it's, it's about Kinnaman, hmm. the cop, and the and the third one's played by George C. Scott. I forgot the name of the actor. Uh, Lee the J. Cobb. That's right, it's Lee J. Cobb. Lee J. Cobb in the original. Um, and I like the cop, and it, t- kind of a different character, it's supposed to be the same, yeah. but he it's is years later, he's he's investigating uh, death at a mental institution, like an asylum. Right. And how there's... Either there's something demonic going on, which seems really possible because he finds, like, a body that's been completely drained very neatly of its blood, so, like someone, nothing spilled. Someone has, it's some it's a character, someone that he knows and someone he cares about very dearly, I'm not going to run for it in case you haven't seen the movie. He, uh, uh, the, the character is drained of all of their blood without spilling a single drop, mm. and all of the blood is in little cups all around the room. Mm-hmm. Just, just that's such a great, eerie, terrifying yeah, yeah. idea because you instantly picture how would you do that, and the only way is patience. Mm. Like that's that's the only thing you had a lot of time and you were really committed to the bit. Um, so there's that. That's that's a great bit. Uh, there's so many wonderful scares in this movie. Um, William Blatty, you you say he's kind of uh, uh, working like freaking. I'm not entirely sure that's that's how I would describe it. Hmm. Because I think William Peter Blatty, first off, he has a very unusual ear for dialogue. Where everyone feels like they're speaking naturally and yet nothing feels entirely natural. That's, I think, where some of the dreamlike bit. Hmm. There's a bit where uh, Kinnaman is talking to a friend. And uh, he's like, his friend's like, oh, how are you? There's a fish in my bathtub and he goes on a long <laughs> speech about why there's a fish in his bathtub right now and he hasn't bathed in days very strange but Friedkin was a very naturalistic filmmaker and uh, especially in films like The Exorcist where he was trying to sort of ground the supernatural elements in something make it seem like very plausible Friedkin is much more concerned with staging mm-hmm. He's much more concerned with framing. And a lot of the scares in The Exorcist 3 are just masterpieces of slow pacing mm-hmm. that kind of lures you in. There's a The most famous shot is just, if the camera is at the end of a hospital hallway, it's the middle of the night, you see a nurse in the far back, and you see a series of doors on either side. Yeah. And then there's a hallway and there's something back. It's a lot of depth of field. And we're lingering on the shot. Nothing is happening. The nurse is going about the round. Sometimes she walks over there. Sometimes she doesn't. All we know is we're not watching this shot for nothing. Something is going to happen. And you have all the time in the world to hunt the frame. Like it's a hidden yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, where's, where's it? Is it going to come from there? Is it going to come from there? What is it? And then it comes at the most perfect moment, and there's a zoom mm. when you least expected it, and it is one of the most terrifying shots in movie yeah, history. Yeah. I love his his very uh, uh, patient sense of showmanship 
in this movie. It's really, really terrifying. I, I love this movie. Part of me likes this movie more than The Exorcist 1. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a more I, I, fun watch. I don't want to go watch. nuts. Uh, I think it's, it's a more fun I think they're watch. both very good movies. No, they're great. They're yeah. great. And actually, you know... There, this, more, yeah, there are more bad Exorcist movies than there are good ones. Yeah. Not just in that series, just in general. Yeah. I, I think I took the devil uh, thing a little bit more literally okay. than you did because I, I'm still not entirely convinced this is supposed to be the top hierarchy of the devil in this movie. Right. But it's it, it, totally respectable. It's totally fine. The one that I think actually it, I think comes a little closer to being like more specifically about the devil uh, is the second prequel to the exorcist uh there was there was uh the one uh, done by paul schrader there was the exorcist the beginning which was paul schrader did a prequel to the exorcist the studio looked at it and said this is slow paced and weird we don't like that so we're gonna pay rennie harlan to reshoot most of it not all Uh, most like 90 percent like a substantial portion of it yeah and it's gonna be a schlocky crap fest and honestly I've rewatched them recently. That mm-hmm. version is genuinely very bad. Uh, it's it's almost <laughs> Exorcist too bad. It's just really just sloppy and doesn't make sense. And then I rewatched the Paul Schrader version, which I remember the first time I saw it after it had been built up so much, I always felt a little disappointed. Mm-hmm. And uh, rewatching it now, I think it's incredibly sophisticated. Okay. And I think uh, it is because it's about Father Marin, the character Max Wanceda plays in the original. When he did his first exorcism as a younger man, he's played by Stellan Skarsgård, uh, and the way that evil starts sort of permeating and penetrating through uh, a very—it uh, it, it takes place in Africa, and the British uh, uh, soldiers have a very colonialist attitude, and that's that's the seed the devil can use to turn everybody against each other and it becomes it's one of those great movies where you're not entirely sure when everything descended into complete chaos because <laughs> it feels like it started kind of slow and I'm not entirely sure when exactly we just all lost our minds mm. um, so that one's really really good too but yeah Exorcist 3 is fucking great yeah. and if you can't pick The Exorcist Exorcist 3 is a good pick um, my first pick uh, has actually been uh, slightly ruined, so I, I wasn't going to pick this first, but whatever. Uh, it's The Last Days in the Desert. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I guess Whitney hasn't seen it, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I... Yeah. All I know is that when they came, uh, they announced that they were going to do an Obi-Wan mm. Kenobi series, they said, yeah. oh, it's Ewan McGregor, he's just going to be wandering the, around the desert. It's like, they made that movie. <laughs> till Last Days in the Desert. They did. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really good movie, and it completely flew under the radar. Like, it premiered at Sundance. I was there that Sundance, actually. And it, it was well-received, but then it came out a few months later, and just nobody cared. Um, and it does commit, I think, one of the cardinal sins of any Jesus movie, which is really playing into... The, the the white guyness of uh, the of the image because it's Ewan McGregor cast you know? a Scottish actor he, as Jesus a, Christ he, yeah. he doesn't get to be a great actor I think as often as he should because mm-hmm. he's a genuinely great actor I think um, it, too often I think he's not given a, a, a genuinely interesting well, role with a lot of depth they cast him in a lot uh, well I guess his agent cast him yeah. in, in a lot of uh, sort of bigger blockbusters mm-hmm. and those tend not to have meaty yeah. roles in them. Yeah. And that, uh, uh, that is the action fantasy. There are exceptions, but I think when you look at, like, you look at something like Train Spotting, mm. and then you look at something like Last Days in the Desert, you really see, oh, wow, this guy's got a ton of range. Um, Last Days in the Desert stars Ewan McGregor as Jesus Christ. It's while he is fasting in the desert for, I guess, about 40 days, uh, give or take. 
And while he is in the desert, he runs into the devil. Hmm. And the devil decides to take the form of Jesus Christ. So Ewan McGregor is playing opposite himself. And Jesus Christ is fasting. This is before he's about to go back to the people and sort of embrace uh, uh, his destiny. Mm. I am the son of God. I have to do something about that. And I've been thinking about the best way to do that. And as he's like just about to like leave, the devil basically says, you don't know what you're, you have no idea how to do that. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You can't, you, how are you going to fix the world? Mm. So the devil issues him a challenge and he runs into, and this is all made up. It's none of this is in the Bible. It's just an yeah. interesting bit of apocrypha. Um, he runs into a family, uh, a father played by Kieran Hines, mother played by Ayelet Zur, and she's dying uh, of some illness. And their son is played by Ty Sheridan, who would go on to be in Ready Player One. Uh, and they're not happy. She's dying. He's trying to build her a house. The son just doesn't want to follow in his father's footsteps. There's, there's a certain bubbling resentment. And Jesus Christ is basically challenged by the devil. Make them better fix them mm. and their problem isn't simple it's not just like oh i'll i'll uh, you're, you can't get fish here i'll magically get you some fish no their problems are very normal unremarkable human if you can't help people who don't even have complicated problems how can you be the son of god and over the course of the film the devil just keeps pushing needling at Jesus Christ. He takes the form of Ayelet Zur and tries to seduce him at one point. Mm. Uh, and over the course of the film, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but Jesus Christ manages to figure out how he can communicate people to people with authority mm -hmm. without coming across like a know-it-all, without yeah. uh, pushing people away. Uh how to keep his peace when he doesn't know what to say and still find a way to be productive and useful. Mm -hmm. And how to... <sighs> Basically how to handle it when he screws up. Because okay. he may be the son of God, but he's still human as mm -hmm. well. He's he ha he's fallible. Uh, and it culminates in a great sort of bit, like kind of understanding between Jesus and the devil. And the last shot is really beautiful. Uh, this this film was actually photographed by Emmanuel Lubezki. Okay. Uh, who is one, one of, of the, the better great... cinematographers out there. Right? Yeah, one, one of the, the best cinematographers, like, alive. Uh, you probably know his work with Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, he did Children of Men. He did Gravity. Uh, for uh, Inuritu, he did The Revenant. He did Birdman. Uh, just a, a genuinely astounding movies, yeah. a genuinely astounding movie and this was like right in the middle of that chunk and nobody saw this movie <laughs> um, it's really good it's really sophisticated it's really beautifully filmed Ewan McGregor is unusually good in it you might argue that maybe they could have cast the character a little bit better but he does play the role really really well and he plays the devil really really well and I like the way that the devil there's no like putting his hands together like Mr. Burns. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's, he, he's not trying to make Jesus evil. He's trying to undermine his confidence. Well, and I think there's something just that kind of insidiousness, I think is something that is, I think very relatable. Yeah, well, we, I mentioned earlier, you know, in the cartoons, mm. Satan is reduced to, you know, the guy in the red pajamas. Yeah. Uh, he's got little horns and a little pitchfork. Uh, the design of Satan, of mm. course, was derived from pan 
uh, to sort of by early Christians to yeah. uh, counteract a lot of the pa- so-called pagan religions. Pagan mm-hmm. is actually an old word that just means not Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, so a pan was turned into Satan. Mm-hmm. That's where we get the horns and the goatness from. Yeah, uh, he's a satyr. Yeah, uh, and that sort of cartoonish image we get of this you know this little horned devil guy mm. is ha, I'm a bad guy you yeah. should you should start fights be mean yeah. uh, you should kill that guy you should do yeah. bad stuff not subtle yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um practically speaking mm. you know the the figure of satan mm. uh, e- even in you know modern religious language mm. yeah is the character of doubt the character that makes you doubt yourself. Mm-hmm. The character that makes you... Doubt your faith. Uh, a personification yeah. of the thing that puts insecurity into you. Yeah, the reason uh, you make bad choices, basically. Uh, yeah. Make bad choices, have bad thoughts. Even. Yeah. That, that, that is the presence of Satan. Yeah. Um, and I like seeing Satan depicted that way mm-hmm. in, in movies. Yeah. Uh, as as the the being of doubt rather than the murderous monster. Yeah, I like. Now, there are fun murderous de- devil monsters. <laughs> oh that, sure, and I sure. got a few of those and, too. And I have a, an insanely ridiculous movie on my. I have several really ridiculous movies yeah. on my list. I, I have uh, some subtle ones. I have some really really ridiculous ones, and those are fun too. But the, I think the ones that I gravitate to the most, and it's the way I kind of gravitate towards ones about God as well, where there's a certain amount of relatability to it. Where mm. I know they're supposed to be like divine or entirely evil but this is a drama mm. i want to connect with them on some sort of character level and different yeah. films have different takes on it and that's totally fine and i really really like the way that last days in the desert there's, there's a great bit of the i can't remember exactly how it goes but it's basically like when he says he tells jesus um in in your last moments i'll check in <laughs> and see how you're doing and see 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 if you still believe let's see let's see how it goes because i've i have some theories about how this is going to go for you uh some, something about yeah. forsaking something somewhere in there yeah, yeah but I, he says something to the effect of say hi to god for me nice <laughs> which is a great thing uh, but yeah it's just it, it, the devil in this classical sense is a fallen angel it's someone who had flaws uh themselves and I think that in many tales in which the devil is a very literal figure, in which the devil gets to be a character and not just a presence, um, there's a certain human quality. The devil probably has more in common with humanity than mm. the devil does with God in a lot yeah. of these stories, and the devil's uncomfortable admitting that. And I think some of the best stories about the devil do that. So, anyway, it's really, really good. Please check it out. Not enough people saw it. It's probably the most obscure film on my list. Uh, what's your next pick? Uh, I guess I'll go with the most obscure film on my list. Okay. Uh, I'm going to choose Lake of Fire. Um, oh, the documentary? The documentary film. Oh, interesting choice. Uh, it's Gold. actually... Um, it's not about Satan, but it is. Because yeah. it's called Lake of Fire. Yeah. Uh, it's actually about abortion. Mm. Uh, it's um, a British director... Tony K. Uh, Tony K. Yeah. Who did uh, American History X and, and not fa- much else. Well, and, and that famously got taken away from him. Like mm-hmm. Edward Norton, like compl- like very much re-edited the final thing. Oh, I think right, right. Tony K. Even tried to get his name taken off of it, but he'd already made such a public stink that the DGA said, "No, everyone knows you directed it. We can't. Yeah, we can't yeah. just all of a sudden do that. So it's not, it, it won't serve the function you wanted no, to." But, so Tony yeah. K. Decided to make a documentary film about America mm-hmm. and about uh, specifically fundamentalist religion. Yeah. In America and its rise and its consequences and how that had all come down to 
the abortion debate yeah. uh, in in political realms, but also just about abortion itself. And it's mm-hmm. it's a long documentary. It does a lot of its homework. It goes to abortion clinics. It talks to uh, advocates as well as people who uh, protest against abortion. Mm-hmm. And what he keeps on zeroing in on in this documentary is how this very strange version of Christianity came into the fore in the United States really recently. Mm. The whole fundy, uh, like, Christian, what we, you know, Christianity, that's American version of Christianity, started in the 1950s. It's like pretty it's, it's recent, really, yeah. Really, really recent. And even then it's changed and, a lot very quickly. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's mutated into something incredibly dogmatic and incredibly fundamental, and it has nothing to do with actual Christianity or Christian values. Mm. Um, when you're, you're, And you actually are a believer. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm an adherent. I'm yeah. a United Methodist. Um, yeah. I, I just think it's useful it's, to know uh, where we're both coming from. I'm an atheist or a Methodist. That's, that's uh, useful yeah, information to have to, for context. Uh, it, it's yeah. and Maybe it's because I go to a particularly non-dogmatic church. There, mm-hmm. There's no hell in, right. you know, in my minister's yeah. sermons. Yeah. Uh, but, I just want to make sure everyone knows where we're coming uh, from. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, the, yeah. The, this version <laughs> of fundamentalist Christianity has been hijacked by a, a, essentially a group of extremists yeah. that Tony Kay is exploring. Yeah. And he talks to them and... Uh, he goes deeper and deeper into guys. What, what is it about specifically aborting pregnancies, mm. this medical procedure, yeah. that is getting people so whipped up? Yeah, that's in, the in thing the that's galvanizing. Yeah. Yeah. Like what and what and how is this linking up with your religion? And what he keeps on coming back to is the title, "The Lake of Fire." Mm. They fear Satan. Mm. Satan is the the main character of Lake of Fire. Yeah. Can't get him on camera. He's not interviewed for the movie. Yeah. They actually just we reached uh, out. They, they talked to like yeah. doctors and people who have had abortions, right. people who are glad they had abortions, people who are not glad they had abortions, uh, and a lot of these fundamentalist Christians. And more and more, he's just saying it's just down to this weird, implacable fear of Satan. Mm-hmm. And how that weird, implacable fear of Satan is driving so goddamn much in goddamn much in this country. Uh, and how it's kind of altered the way the American character ha- just is, what, yeah. what we are and what we stand for. And how since the 1950s, it's mutated into something really strangely passionate and kind of directionless. And it's all based on the fear of Satan. Yeah, and well, it's based on fear is what it yeah. is. It's based on fear. That's that's yeah. what it comes down to, and that can undermine so that, that's, that's even the calls, most beautiful yeah. thing about religion is when it, be, it comes from a place of fear. When it yeah, it's, when yeah. it's about fear, when it's about judgment, when it's about harming others, mm-hmm. when it's about, when it becomes about following rules yeah. rather than uh, righteousness. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that's that's why I called this documentary about abortion lake of fire right. it's about the lake of fire I, I have never i'm i'm familiar with this documentary mm. but i've never in my entire life said you know what i feel like watching right now <laughs> it's also long it's like a three-hour film it's a long, so, yeah. length is not the issue it's just a matter of if i don't have to watch something for work and and watching something for work that i'm not necessarily in the mood for can often yield the most wonderful discoveries oh yeah yeah uh that that's not in, in any way a demerit against the movie uh, but if I don't have to watch it for work, I'm probably going to watch something that I naturally gravitate towards. Mm. And this kind of really heavy documentary about really serious, depressing subjects, uh, generally not what I gravitate towards. And it's never come up in my work, so I've never actually sat down and watched it. But I've heard it's I've heard it's excellent. Uh, mm. So uh, I, I cannot speak to it. I cannot say whether or not I think it qualifies. Uh, but um, it, it's it's an interesting choice. 
That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very bold. Uh, it's it's rough. Yeah. Uh, just every every possible trigger warning should go at the the head of Lake of Fire because it, it does talk very difficultly about some very frank things. Yeah. It does go into abortion clinics. We see some things from pretty uh, pretty explicitly in the movie. Yeah. If you're gonna go in, just be warned. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a lot of difficult lot of things in that movie, yeah. but it it's but it is good. it's gonna it's yeah. gonna yeah really explore a lot about. This country and how fucked up it is. I am going to segue from that to a very different direction. I'm going to do a total pendulum swing uh, away from that tonally. But there is one thing that's connected. And that this is a movie that is entirely about the devil in which the devil does not appear. However, I think there's a perfectly valid theory to this movie that suggests that you the person watching it mm-hmm. are the devil and that's because it's stay tuned oh stay tuned yeah nice stay tuned is a comedy from the 1990s that wasn't a big hit it was 90 it, i think it yeah like, like right, early right 90s yeah. yeah it wasn't a big hit um and it doesn't seem to have much of a cult uh but uh it's weird and imaginative and clever and the idea is this uh, john ritter is a couch potato he just likes watching tv all day and an emissary of Satan, uh, played by Jeffrey Jones, and we're not going to get into all of that. <laughs> we're not going to get into that. <laughs> you can Google it. I'm not going to ruin your day. Uh, sells him a new satellite dish. It's going to get him all the channels. Like, all of them. The stuff you've never even heard of. And he's very excited about it. But it's all a trick. He's basically sold his soul for a satellite dish. And it's supposed to zap him into the television. <laughs> Where he will be tortured by television, the stuff that happens on TV, for an audience of one. Satan. <laughs> the, the, the kicker is his wife, who doesn't approve of any of this and thinks he's wasting his is life it, in front of TV. Is it Amy Yazbeck, or am I thinking of Problem Child? I don't think it's Amy Yazbeck. Mm. No, no. What? Oh, look that up, because I'm driving yeah, Stay tuned. Um, uh, 92. I'm 92, sorry. yeah. yeah. Uh, she gets pulled in with him by accident. So she's not supposed to be there. She's a little more clear-headed. But the gag is... It's basically a delivery system for, for, for hell gags. And every... Oh, it's Pam Dauber. Oh, Pam Dauber. From, from Pam Dauber. Mindy, from Morgan Mindy. Yeah, yeah. Um, they keep getting, like, bumped from one channel to another. And we see a lot of, like, what would the commercials look like on the devil's television? I'm not sure what the devil is going to buy, but I guess he finds commercials amusing. So it's like... Oh, are you kids loud in the back seat? Try the silencer of the lambs. And it's just those, like, face masks thing from Sounds of the Lambs where you put them on your kids. Or there's an exercise program, but it's the exercisist. And it's it's like, come on, everybody, head spins. And the head spins all around in 360 degrees. Dwayne's Underworld is one of them. Dwayne's Underworld is a good one. They get stuck in a cartoon, and it's like uh, Tom and Jerry, but they're Jerry, and Tom is pissed. And so they're really, really screwed. They get stuck in a game show, and they, they, they... the only way to win is to reveal horrible truths about yourself that you never wanted to admit to anybody. Um... And, yeah, and so we cut between them stuck in the TV, their kids watching the TV, and the development team in Hell, (laughs) which also has Eugene Levy in it. And they're basically just coming up with a whole bunch of different programs, because how do you keep the devil entertained? (laughs) And that is very amusing, I find. I I find that concept very interesting. Yeah. The idea that the devil has downtime... And he, he he's also 
just looking to watch something terrible. And, of course, it's a satire of television because television, there are exceptions to this rule, but it sucks, right? <laughs> like, it's it's got it's extremely capitalistic with all the commercials. A lot of the shows are extremely pandering and it, it portray either uh, through fiction or through a semblance of reality, usually manipulated, the worst aspects of human nature. They are yeah. trying to capture your attention by playing to your worst vices. And Stay Tuned has a lot of fun with that. And it's a very right. entertaining, bizarre uh, film. Uh, Tim Burton almost directed it, didn't work out. Uh, Would have, I think, been maybe was, a more interesting movie visually. Peter but, Hyams ended up I think doing, Peter Hyams, yeah. who's a very interesting genre of film. He's just done everything. Like little every bit, kind, yeah. He did 2010, A Space Odyssey. <laughs> uh, no, he did uh, the, the Year We Make Contact. I'm oh, sorry, The Year We Make Contact, mm -hmm. which is a sequel to 2001, A Space Odyssey. He did The Musketeer, which is a bad movie with amazing oh, gosh, sword he, fights. Oh, golly, yeah. The, the idea was, what if we did a Three Musketeers movie, with but we did... modern wuxia effects. Yeah, yeah, but like instead, but the sword fights were actually like as elaborate and daredevil as the stuff that was coming out of China at the time, which is an interesting idea. They just made a shitty Three Musketeers movie outside of the action sequences, which is why no one cares about it, but the action is amazing. Um, just an interesting filmmaker. He doesn't always make good movies, but when he did, he made really, really good ones. This is one of his more bizarre ones. Hmm. And, yeah, it's mostly forgotten, and there's some casting choices that may make you go, I don't know if I want to watch it, and that's fine, but I think conceptually, it's one of the more interesting and imaginative films about the devil. Mm -hmm. And even though the devil doesn't really show up, the implication is, if this is the devil's TV, you're watching it. <laughs> you're, you're the devil. You're yeah. the devil a little bit. And this is what you want to watch, right? You're kind of sick. And I think there's it, it doesn't lean into that commentary too much, but it's there. And that makes it a little bit more intelligent than I think people give it credit for. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a neat flick. It's an e flick. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be my number ten, which I usually reserve for kind of like a weird one. Right. Uh, but you kind of you know threw the last days in the desert out there, so figured I was going to get out All right. first. Uh, what's your next pick? Um, well, you, you threw out. Um, uh, stay tuned. Mm. I'm going to choose a, a comedy as well. Okay. Uh, this one has Linda Blair in it. Uh, <laughs> I chose Repossessed. I love Repossessed. <laughs> Repossessed is very funny. This made my runners up. This okay. made my runners up. I feel like Repossessed. Repossessed is basically. Uh, a, the slapstick a, spoof of The Exorcist. The, the airplane version of The Exorcist. Yeah. Not made by those same guys, but um, it's got well, Leslie Nielsen. Same, same spirit, yeah. The yeah. cast Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. And it has, you know, like fun visual gags. Uh, one of my favorite in the movie is um, Linda Blair. She's playing Regan McNeil, but they changed the name of the character. Yeah. Her name is like Nancy Aglet in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. she's. Uh, Nancy Reagan. That's the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that cute? Yeah, they thought it out. And uh, she's talking with a, a character in a phone booth, and there's they do that split mm. screen thing where she's at home talking on her phone, and yeah. he's in the phone booth in a city, yeah. and uh, there's a vagrant in the background of the phone booth, and uh -huh. the guy's like talking, and he just sort of wanders. Uh, the vagrant, like from yeah. the background of the phone booth, into her house. Like it's just it's, we realize it's a solid set, and yeah. he just wanders into her house and starts stealing stuff in the background. Of, a lot of really little, really little bad. stuff like that. There's there's um, one guy who has nothing to do with the devil, but uh, she's going to a hospital, and it's an establishing side of the hospital, and someone's like drives into the driveway, but it says "Don't back up, severe tire damage." And they're like, "Oh no, oh no, I forgot something." And so, like, okay, and the guy backs up without thinking about it, and their car is pelted with tires. They're just like just tires fall, fall, fall from, from the, the sky. sky. <laughs> That's my kind of humor. I'm sorry, yeah, that just makes me laugh. Th that kind of slapstick yeah. idiocy, but um. First of all, Linda Blair, not just game, she's hilarious. She, like she has a wonderful sense of humor. Actual comic chops. Yeah. Like she, she. This really should have been, like, 
what like I don't know like Step Brothers was for John C. Riley. Yeah, like, all of a sudden, oh my god, she's hilarious. Give she, her more she, comedies. She has a wonderful, wonderful, yeah. just a great comedic actress. Yeah, that she wasn't in more comedies is a little baffling. It, it's a shame, um, honestly. This should have been a great calling card for her. Yeah, yeah. It's like, a, and and she she gets to you know do the cussing and mm-hmm. uh, but she also gets to dance. Yeah. Uh, the the exorcism at the end of the movie it turns out to be a musical number and they dress like Elton John and sing the devil out of her. Well, the, the idea but, uh, was she was possessed as a child yeah. and then the, the possession is back and she's been repossessed. Yeah. But the thing is, is that uh, the church has changed dramatically in the last like fifteen twenty years and now it's being taken over by the whole uh, uh, televangelist by movie, televangelism yeah. and they want to do the exorcism on live TV, mm-hmm. which. The twist is that's what the devil wants. He wants the devil com- wants more more of an audience. Yeah. Uh, I find that to be incredibly relevant, given mm-hmm. the way uh, fascists are being platformed in mass media these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's this, and it's and it's quite incisive, actually. Mm-hmm. Like the, the it's actually like it, it's, well, it's genuine satire of something that's real. It's genuine satire. Yeah. Uh, now satirizing televangelists ain't no thing. Uh, they're <laughs> easy to mock because they're yeah. ridiculous figures. Yeah. They were more um, immediately relevant. Like yeah, at the at the, yeah, at the time. That was very it, fresh. It, in fact, even when this movie was made in like yeah. uh, 91-ish, yeah. uh, around there, um, televangelists were already kind of on the way out. There, mm-hmm. A lot of them had been taken out by sex scandals and mm-hmm. money scandals. Yeah. They, they, they were all just horrible people, and that was coming to light. Um, and they're working with, you know, complete vicious assholes like Jerry Falwell. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for that. Oh, no, 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 no. I, a monster. I, I, even his kid uh, has basically said, yeah, my dad was a huge hypocrite. Yeah, if you talk to him in private, he'd tell you. A, yeah, he's a, yeah. a, a, a fucking horrible human being. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I feel like it wasn't so timely at the time. It's like, yeah. now we're just sort of like poking fun at the easy target. Of, I, like, I think it was, it's certainly closer uh, to when that era was. Maybe, yeah, maybe more, it was more, like more on the tail like, end. remembered yeah. it. But, but yeah. this is the, the church lady was still a bit on SNL at the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dana Carvey had a whole bit where he was a church lady who had her own like public mm. access show. And it was all about her being judgmental, but also incredibly ignorant. Mm. Yeah. Um, Repossess is incredibly funny. It's smarter than people give it credit for. There is a, a bit of a caveat in that it has so many jokes. Some of them don't land. So some of them are going to be offensive. And or a dated, few, and yeah. a few of them are genuinely pretty offensive. It's not terribly hateful mm. or anything like that. But there's a few like just there's a few queer jokes. Yeah, there's yeah, a, there's are... a few jokes about you know various like cultural stereotypes mm. and th- those aren't great. I'm not going to put it, but they're brief and then it just moves on. And that's mm. not the whole vibe of it. That's not the whole attitude. They're just throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Mm. Uh, but yeah. Linda Blair, it's her movie. Like, Leslie Nielsen's fine in it. He's good. He he obviously plays The Exorcist. It's an obvious joke. Uh, His character is named Father May I. Isn't that cute? People knock. Father, may I? Yes, you may. (laughs) Still funny, damn it. Um, Like, the the movie knows that's a dumb joke. Oh, yeah. Well, that airplane knew it was full of dumb jokes. The joke, honestly, is that they're doing all the dumb jokes. Right. It's like, if there's an opportunity for a good joke, they'll take it. If it's opportunity for a dumb joke, well... We'll take Damn, that yeah. Ten seconds were passing by. What are we going to do? Not put a joke in there? That's the whole gag. And, and they f- they feed a dog into a wood chipper. So you know, yeah. that's, there's there's all kinds. It's very there's cartoony. Something, something it's for very everybody. cartoon. It's very cartoon. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, it's. I, I wrote about this for uh, slash film a couple mm. like last year or something like that. Just like, hey, you know what? No one talks about <laughs> it's repossessed. repossessed. It's really quite funny, and it's one of the better. 
Like, there's, of the airplane-type movies, I think everyone loves Airplane. Mm. I think most people respect the hell out of Top Secret. Mm. Uh, I think the Naked Gun movies are, they're beloved. I think they're a little hit and miss, but, like, they're mm. they're beloved. Uh, Repossessed is one of the better second-tier ones. Well, uh, you know? th- there was a wave of those kind of spoof movies in mm. the late 80s and early 90s, thanks to the success of The Naked Gun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, po- police no 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 specifically the naked gun right. uh the police squad tv series was famously didn't last long it was canceled after six episodes mm-hmm. but then they had enough like cult traction to make a movie and that turned out to be a huge hit mm-hmm. uh, and so they made two sequels to the naked gun and th- mm-hmm. that sort of sparked this new wave of spoofery yeah uh, that's where we got like hot shots and mafia um, yeah that was Z- the second Z- wave Z- yeah. that was kind of another and that then repossessed was part of that wave, mm-hmm. um, and there were some pretty good ones, and that they came out of that wave. And those, those sort of um, went away for a little bit, and then yeah. they were resurrected by the release of Scary Movie in oh, two thousand. Yeah. But Scary Movie lowered the bar. Man. Scary, well, There's... Scary Movie was a little bit of a different animal. It was Keenan Ivory Wayans. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the, yeah, yeah. the, the old the old yeah. uh, team that was making them. There's some good gags in the first Scary Movie, but it's mostly relying on shock humor. There, there was a lot of shock humor yeah. and a lot of reference humor, and that devolved even further into the Friedberg Seltzer wave. So, yeah. uh, if if you hate spoof movies, if you think they're all bad, mm-hmm. you just you came into them at the wrong time. There yeah. was a really good renaissance for them. There was like the first wave in the, like the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Then there was another wave in like the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. And if you came in at the two thousands, you didn't see the good ones. Yeah. And we haven't had a lot of good spoof movies since then. We've had like Black Dynamite, maybe. That's a good um, one. That's, that's a, a really good one. Good one. Uh, we oh uh, uh, nobody saw it. They came together. They came together as a good spoof movie. That, that's it's a spoof one. of like a Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler, and it's a romantic spoof of, comedy, specifically yeah. romantic comedies from like the nineteen nineties. You've got male school, uh-huh. uh, and if you love those types of movies, it knows its shit. <laughs> it's got all of the details down, and it's really, really, really funny. <laughs> I love that movie to pieces. That's a good one, but uh, yeah, they're they're rare. Um, all right, moving on, I have another comedy. Uh, this one's pretty well known, but I think it's not as popular in America as it is elsewhere. And that's the original Bedazzled. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I had the remake on my runners-up, because I haven't seen the original. you never seen the original? No, oh I haven't God. seen the original okay. Bedazzled. So, uh, Bedazzled, uh, the original Bedazzled stars uh, Dudley Moore. Uh, he is a sad sack. He's in love with this girl. I think they work together. Uh, and he can't figure out how to talk to her. And the devil, uh, played by the great Peter Cook, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook work together a lot. Uh, says, yeah, I'll, "You want, uh, you want, I'll give you seven. I think it's seven wishes. Okay. And every single wish you can undo if you don't want it, but it'll help you get the girl theoretically. And while Dudley Moore is figuring out what his wishes are going to be, and all of them backfire horrendously. Yeah. There's a bit where he's like, okay, well, maybe if I was like super popular and famous, so he wishes to be like the next Beatles. Mm. And this girl just completely like screaming her head off, like, ah, Beatlemania, totally fall. This is in the 60s, so that's very fresh. Um, absolutely falls in love with him. And then as soon as he gets off the stage, Peter Cook shows up in another band, and that band's 15 minutes are over. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't last. You didn't wish for lasting success. You just wished to be popular. You didn't say. You got to be really specific with Peter yeah, Cook. But uh, in the middle, and this is the part. All those bits. Some of them have aged badly. Some of them are really, really funny. Still, the final wish is so incredibly absurd. <laughs> it's so like, what the fuck? You, what were you smoking when you came up with that idea? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the best parts are in the middle, between the wishes, when uh, Dudley Moore is just following Peter Cook around while he does his day job. And he's doing things like just, he's uh, a meter maid and he just keeps giving people tickets. Or like, he walks past someone and they have an hour on the meter and he just flicks his fingers. No time left on the meter. Boom. And even Dudley Moore is like, you're not even trying, are you? And he's like, you try coming up with new ideas every five minutes. And he's asking, like, he's trying to like, what was it like? Why did you like leave God? And uh, and he's like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a bit of an experiment here. So you're gonna be me, and I'm gonna be God. And he like sits on like a post box. And uh, okay, so uh, what? Here's here's what it was like. Um, cavort, like cavort around me in a circle, and tell me how great I am. And Dudley Moore's like, oh, um, okay, you're you're wonderful, uh, you're handsome, uh, the universe, great idea. And then he's like, after a minute, he's like, can we trade places? This is getting boring. And Peter Cook's like, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's another one that it really humanizes the devil. It doesn't make him really a good guy, uh-huh. but it makes him also kind of a sad sack kind of victim of the universe in a way he's a victim of his own vanity yeah and he makes a lot of mistakes and he does a lot of bad things and he kind of like him but he's also a total dick uh peter cook is absolutely wonderful dudley moore is at his best uh it's really imaginative the remake directed by harold ramus starring brendan fraser and elizabeth hurley as the devil which is a fun uh bit of casting and she's good in it um it's the same premise Mm. exact same premise uh the wishes are different uh I, the only reason why that's... There, there's two reasons. I think Dudley Moore and Peter Cook have, are just funnier actors. Oh, yeah. uh, I think uh, Brendan Fraser is usually a better... It's weird. He can be goofy and he can be the straight man. And I feel like they're trying to make him be both yeah. in the remake. And it, well, it's not very he, consistent. He's, he's kind of a cartoon, like a lovelorn kind of cartoon in that yeah. movie. But I, I like the remake because he gets to play so many different kinds of characters. Yeah. You know, he w- wishes to be like a basketball star and he gets to wear the makeup and be the basketball star. Yeah. And all star. of a sudden he's eight feet tall. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then, then he was kind of nonspecific about certain things in that one back mm-hmm. there. Uh, Elizabeth there, there, There's a really cute yeah. one where he's like, I wish I was an intellect. It's like, oh, you get to be an intellect. Yeah, I want to be really well read and really well dressed and she'll be yeah. attracted to me then. And he goes to a party and yes, she like her, his lady love is there and she's attracted to him. But what he didn't specify was that he also wanted to be heterosexual. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, wait a minute. And my husband is in the, oh shit. I didn't think that I'm not attracted to you anymore. Attracted to men in this wish. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, That that's one of the funnier ones. And I I just feel like in general, the wish vignettes are funnier in the original. Okay. And I think that uh, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook are a more seasoned comedy duo than Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley. Okay. But the remake is okay. It's, not, right. it's not a bad. And if it's the version you see, fine. But if you've never seen the original, it's just got so much more personality and the, the dialogue sparkles. Yeah. And I'm, it's, I'm really, really fond of it. All right. Uh, do I have any other comedy? Oh, I do have some other comedy. Okay. Um, I have South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even think of this one. <laughs> Satan's character in it. I, no, you're totally right. I don't know why I didn't think of this one, but it, fair enough. Uh, it's it's a. I know uh, talking about uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker these days is a little yeah. fraught because of their personal politics. They've gone mm. a little far off the edge when it comes to sort of like libertarian politics, which mm. you know your mileage may vary. Uh, but when they made the movie in 1999, they were firing on all cylinders. Yeah. South Park uh, was seen as a pretty savage satire of culture at the time. 
I think and, and there was I think it started off kind of just in your face kind of prurient but by yeah. the time the movie came along they'd started really getting into cultural satire yeah. and they'd gotten and because that show was made so fast mm. they could be incredibly topical really up to date there, yeah. there's a reference in that movie to uh, Star Wars Episode 1 yeah. which was released three months earlier <laughs> like, I, I didn't even think it was three months uh, Star Wars like came mid- out in May and South Park came out in July yeah so and, for a movie, and for an animated movie to throw in a whole bit, it's not a long bit, but it's yeah. a reference. Um, but that, that seemed really weird at the time, yeah. that it could be that topical, mm. especially like, for an animated movie. Like, like you could see the reference before you saw the movie, and they're both in the same theater. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. This came out. I could have sworn it was in June, but all right. I, it might have been June. Yeah. Yeah, the point I'm is they did it quick. Uh, the the plot of the movie is you know absurd. The the main characters are eight years old. They sneak into an R rated movie full of obscenities, and of course it's a stand com- in for this movie. For yeah, like a stand in for the movie itself. And um, the, the kids- June twenty third, June twenty. Wow, it was, it was like a, it was like less than a month. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think Star Wars is like May fifteenth or something. Okay, bad uh, month, but yeah. Uh, so they, yeah, sneak they, into this movie. they sneak into this movie. They hear all the dirty words. They start repeating the d- dirty words in front of their uh, their parents, mm. and the parents, rather than talking about foul language or addressing why they're afraid of it, start mm. to play the blame blame game, and yeah. they want to blame Canada, which is where the the film came from. Yeah, the, the film was made in Canada. The stars are Canadian, and even, not even just blaming them. They're just looking for who can we blame like, for our like, problems so that we don't have to do, mm. we don't have to take any responsibility and, whatsoever, and, the, and, and of it course turns it, into a war. It gets, yeah, it gets a war a, with Canada. Uh, the U.S. goes to war with Canada, and this, of course, sparks off uh, this weird sort of biblical prophecy, and we cut to hell. Uh, which ties into the show because one of the characters, Kenny, dies in every episode. That's one of yeah. the running gags of the show. So he dies and he goes to hell. And Satan was, is there. Yeah. Uh, Satan is lovers with Saddam Hussein, which is... Edgy. Uh, edgy. Yeah. It's edgy humor. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the parts of the film that hasn't aged great. <laughs> not, not great. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's still funny to look at because Saddam Hussein is like a photograph, whereas everybody else is like little uh, mm-hmm. paper cutouts. And Saddam Hussein was alive at the time. Yeah, he wasn't even like, dead was, yet. Yeah, so it's like it's very very it's a little specific. little bizarre. Yeah. Um, uh, up until the the Satan moment, uh, it it's really sharp and it's really great. And yeah. but as soon as we get to the song up there, the song yeah. sung by Satan, mm-hmm. it turns into genius. Because uh, uh, that's when it starts turning into like a lay Mis riff. Uh, yeah, like, it's well, really elaborate. That's the ballad. Is, yeah. is, uh, and Satan is down the most sympathetic character in the movie. Yeah, the most like moral upstanding, caring character yeah. is the devil. Yeah, who's a in this abusive relationship with Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. who only dreams of being. Up there, yeah, and that's the name of the yeah. song. Up there, d- d- where, where things uh, are nice and people mm. like each other, like yeah. that's what everyone dreams. Wants. I can dream too. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> God, it's so funny. The music <laughs> is so damn good in that movie. Like it's it should really, be. really sharp. It should Mark, be, but it's Mark so into the music, and um, it, it is like Broadway level. It is so good. Blame Canada was nominated for best song at the mm. Academy Awards. It should have won. <laughs> that Tarzan song is not as good a song. Although, honestly, I think they would have had a better chance if they had uh, submitted What Would Brian Boitano Do? Which is <laughs> what, a very which funny song. They couldn't do because that was from the show. Was that from the show first? Well, um, I know there was... I know... I know. Uh, uh, I, know I guess they didn't sing it. They put, they put What Would Brian Boitano Do in The Spirit of Christmas... 
the phrase. Yeah, that's just the phrase. Yeah. I don't think they did the whole song. Yeah, I guess I they, could be they, wrong. I could be adapted, wrong. No, I guess no. You're yeah. right. But they there were the there were songs the in the movie that were from the show. There's yeah. a song about Kyle's mom, which was in the show, and they do a slightly more elaborate version in the in the movie. <laughs> a song about Kyle's mom. <laughs> yeah, look up uh, the title of the song about Kyle's I'm not, mom. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. It's, <laughs> Kyle's mom has enough problems. Um, so, but yeah, they. they I love the way all of the music comes together in this huge, mm. giant Les Mis medley, which is just so damn ambitious. <laughs> the, the act one, yeah. yeah. Um, so much of that movie works really, really great, and so much of it is also just tawdry, low-hanging fruit. And well, that's by, the stuff that doesn't by, age well. By but design, like, that's, yeah, that's, that's what they're going for. That's but, true, yeah. but I'm just saying that stuff, that stuff is almost designed not to age well. The mm. part, problem with making a show that's so immediate you run the risk of making it kind of useless later on. Mm. And there are episodes of South Park that were really brilliant at the time, but if you don't remember what was in the news that week, you're not going to know what the fuck they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. It's sort of a cultural document. Um, and I think, for me, the great sin of South Park was that they eventually settled on this mentality that I saw seeping into people around me where they were so centrist... Yeah. that their greatest sin, the worst thing you could be in South Park, is someone who cares about something and wants to do something about, about anything. It. Anything. Yeah. Whether you want to fix a problem, cause a problem, doesn't matter. You are overreacting and you should all just chill yeah, out. And there's a, to a certain extent I can buy that, but it also, it, it's you not... You saying that taking any moral stance is immoral. Yeah, the, and I think the, that's, um, a, that's an ugly thing to make pervasive. I think that's that's the sin of South Park. It's the reason why I I like South Park bigger and longer and uncut, Mm -hmm. but I'm not as big a fan of Team America. I like Mm. the Michael Bay spoof stuff in Team America, but the ultimate message is uh, Hollywood actors with outspoken opinions are just as bad as Korean dictators yeah. uh, in, in the view of that movie. Yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the bad guys, too. And yeah. it's like, no, actually, I think, there's, I think there's at least a level, right? Yeah. Like, you could argue that, you know, I don't know. I'm, it, again, the, these things felt very topical at the time. Yeah. Uh, and they don't always age well. But South Park, there's so much good in it that I, I totally, I'm totally see why you put it in there. I don't, I, it literally didn't even occur to me to put it on the list. <laughs> and I don't know how. Satan I, has a song in he the does. movie. No, it's totally fair. I, there's always one oh. where I'm just like, why the fuck did that? Yeah, well, you're, you're going to say a couple. Um, why, I don't know, man. I, I'm starting to think my, my list is very, very safe. Um, but, because um, I think, I think that's it for, that's it for, for, for straight up comics. I do have an animated film. Okay. Uh, so I guess I'll go with that. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's Fantasia. Oh, I haven't seen Fantasia. That's so weird to me that you haven't seen Fantasia. I've, I've seen the uh, the Night on Bear Mountain sequence. Bald Mountain. Either way. However Bear, you want to... Bear Mountain is what uh, Christina Ricci and Anna Chlumsky searched for treasure in like the late 90s. <laughs> That's gold. The gold, the the gold Digger's the Legend of Bear Mountain. It's called Bear Mountain. I believe so. B-A-R-E. It's a translation of the same word. Um, okay. Uh, in Russian or whatever Masorgsky uh, wrote in, it in, in the but, um, Christina Ricci movie it's like it's like a rawr bear yeah it's not it's not a bald mountain. bald mountain yeah. bald bear yeah devoid of life yeah anyway uh, uh, Fantasia and, is, and I've seen the, the Mickey Mouse sequence that, that also but, but I haven't sat down to watch all of Fantasia y- you should actually it's, mm. it's a really good really interesting film it was re-released in theaters when I was a kid and that was really mm. exciting and um, Fantasia was one of Disney's more like ambitious early experiments in feature filmmaking. It came out um, 1940. Yeah, yeah like re- it was one of his first movies, and um, 
you know, just doing Snow White alone seemed like a big risk. It wasn't the first animated feature. Uh, Disney likes to pretend it is. It wasn't, but it was hugely popular. Everyone thought it was going to be a, a bad idea just to turn this fairy tale into this big... Who's going to just watch this long fairy tale mm. in animation? Uh, worked out for them. So, you know, touche, I guess. Um, but they didn't necessarily want to get caught in a rut, and they decided to do something really abstract. <laughs> And so they decided to do Fantasia. They got uh, Leopold Stokowski to conduct an orchestra, and it was going to be a selection of some of the most uh, famous, beloved, striking uh, bits of classical music. And every single piece, because normally if you're sitting in an orchestra, you're listening. Maybe you're letting your mind wander. You know, you're trying to visualize something. If it's like Peter and the Wolf, it's like something specific. Uh they decided we're going to we're going to represent it in animation and they're not going to be super literal about it. Uh the uh the Nutcracker Suite, for example, there's a there's a narrative there. That is not what they do. They do this incredibly elaborate thing about like flowers dancing in the night. Mm-hmm. If if it wasn't for Nylon Bald Mountain, that would be my favorite sequence. It's just so gorgeous and imaginative and um there's this incredible one where uh it's uh, alligators trying to eat hippopotamuses in the middle of a ballet as they're also seducing the hippopotamuses. <laughs> okay. And there's some fat jokes in it and that doesn't age great, but it's, a, it's a, almost like a Looney Tune kind of sense of humor. It's got a good mm-hmm. manic energy to it. There's one that's kind of racist and I don't really show that one anymore. Um, but it concludes with the best one. Night on Bold Mountain. No, it on... concludes with Sorcerer's Apprentice, doesn't no, it? No, Sorcerer's Apprentice in the middle. Oh, I mean, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I, I oh. I'm pretty sure Nile Mountain's last. I, again, I haven't seen it. I just right. I was told in film school that it came last. So. Uh, maybe you know what? Maybe you're right. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up real fast while I while I vamp. Yeah. But um, uh, Night on Bull Mountain uh, is uh, a very dramatic, ominous uh, piece of music that becomes more. That's what I'm looking for. More revelrous. Not on Bull Mountain is uh, a story oh, yeah. of a... Sorcerer's Apprentice was only the third of the, yeah. the sequences. Yeah. You'd think it would be the last because it's kind of the most famous, the most Disney, but... No. Uh, Bull Mountain is a, is a mountain, a real mountain, and in the middle of the night, uh, the mountain unfurls its wings. Like, the top of the mountain, it's actually a gigantic devil. Yeah. And he unfurls his wings, and he's like, he's so bum 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 bum. Oh my god, I love it so much. And he's gorgeous. He's he's ripped. And I'm, I'm watching this as a kid, and I'm just like, okay, all right, stirring some feelings. I'm starting to get a little confused here. Uh, the uh, uh, he summons this, and he's gigantic. He like he dwarfs Godzilla. Like he's huge. Um. He summons ghosts and goblins, and they're gorgeous. There's these really bizarre, creepy... It's terrifying. It's yeah. a terrifying sequence of... And he, like, opens his hands, and little sexy demons, like, start, like, prancing around and, like, really, like, is this okay in the production code kind of way. <laughs> uh, and it's just so demonic and cool. And... It's a little undercut because they decided Nine of Ball Mountain wasn't enough. We can't have the devil not be defeated. Mm. He's not even doing anything. He's minding his own business in his own house, basically. But it concludes with the dawn. 
the devil is sent back. No, oh, you know the darkness and, and the light. There's a balance, and there. they and they cut to Ave Maria, and there's a sort of religious sort of thing where it's mm. like you know God's like sort of here now, and devil's like, all right, fine, yeah, you 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 signed up for the for the for the sheet for the day. Mm. Um, I'll I'll clock out. Chunk. Uh, good on you. I'll be back and and we'll we'll have another rock and party later. Um, it's it, it's not a movie that's specifically about the devil because it's all these different pieces, but that's the one people remember besides the Mickey Mouse one. Mm-hmm. And the Mickey Mouse one is is a good Mickey Mouse short. Not on Bull Mountain is it, it it's it's what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, it's unwholesome. <laughs> like it's the sort of thing where it's just like if that was an actual party, you would be like, uh, should we? go or is this the best party ever like is are, are we gonna like make bad decisions or regret the rest of our night our lives at this party or is this just the coolest thing ever mm. um it shows how alluring the devil can be and demonic imagery can be while also being genuinely scary and they have their cake and eat it too with the whole ave maria thing at the end but it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant in a vacuum it's brilliant as sort of a capper to the whole film it's brilliant uh it's very bold Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a classic. It's just one of the best bits of animation Disney ever did. Just period. Which is saying something. They did a lot of amazing stuff. Um, what you got next? Well, uh, you, you talked about how um, God had to triumph at the end. Sure. Of, you can't make a movie <laughs> and have the devil be triumphant. Sure. Um, unless you're Coffin Joe. <laughs> I really need to see these goddamn movies. These Coffin Joe movies are fucking amazing. <laughs> I chose 1967's This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse. Uh, this Night I'll Possess Your Corpse was the second uh, mm. second of the Coffin Joe movies. Uh, the first one was called At Midnight I'll Take Your Soul. Mm-hmm. This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse is better. Yeah, but they're both about scheduling, really. Tonight, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tonight. What are we going to do tonight, Coffin Joe? Same next, thing we do every night. Next, thir- next Thursday, I'll eat your thumbs. You know, whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, this night, I'll possess your corpse. Uh, Coffin Joe, uh, for those who don't know, uh, was sort of like uh, if if the Crypt Keeper and Elvira were merged into a, a, mm. a character, mm. but they came out in the 60s in Brazil, or mm. 50s in Brazil. Yeah. That's Coffin Joe. He had uh, this big bushy beard and a top yeah. hat, and he grew his fingernails really, really long in real life. Yeah. And he went around in public that way. Like, this was his public persona. Mm-hmm. He was like this horror host in real life. Mm. Uh, but he also played this character in movies, uh, Coffin Joe, and he directed these movies. And Coffin Joe... He was an undertaker, and he was a complete ghoul. He he took ple- he was a sadist. He took pleasure in uh, torturing other people, and his mo was uh, very narcissistic. I am so perfect. I am this perfectly evil person, yeah. and I need to persist throughout the. So I'm going to kidnap women and impregnate them, and make sure I, I like my my progeny sort of spreads out across yeah, the world. Know, evil stuff. E- evil shit. Yeah. And a, a big part of it is this kind of Marquis de Sade philosophy, where yeah. if if there were a god, mm. he would stop me from doing this shit. Mm. And he starts doing like more and more outrageous, horrible, horrible things in defiance of religion. Mm-hmm. Now, he is an explicitly atheist character, and these are explicitly atheist movies. There is no yeah. supernatural, but at the same time, the devil has to kind of peek his head in occasionally, yeah. and it's specifically in This Night I'll Possess Your Corpse, mm. he has a nightmare 
okay. where he goes to hell. The movie's in black and white except for the hell sequence. Oh. And the hell sequence is fucking amazing. Because <laughs> it's blazingly colored and he starts wandering through these weirdly designed hallways and he sees people getting uh, tortured and there's demons and he starts getting genuinely afraid. Yeah. Oh, crap. E- even uh, Coffin Joe. Even Coffin Joe. Wow. Uh, he learns... The plot, he's been kidnapping women, mm. he's been impregnating them, it's really horrible stuff, and then when uh, they reject him, he throws them to snakes. Like, he's just murdering all these people. He's a horrible monster. Yeah. And he has this dream, then he goes to hell. And he has this dream because he realized, oh crap, one of those women was pregnant that I murdered. So I killed a baby. Oh god. That's, I killed my own DNA, that's the horrible sin. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all very, about me. Yeah, it's all yeah. very narcissistic. And he goes into hell, and he looks up at the devil, and the devil is there. And the devil is him. Uh, he gets to say, you know, I get it. Like, oh, oh, I'm the devil. And he wakes up, he's like, yeah. oh, cool. I'm the devil. <laughs> Jesus no, everything I'm doing is totally okay. And, and of course, I wish I had that much confidence. <laughs> Not the evil part. I just wish I had the yeah. confidence. That's, that's the, mm. no. uh, do what thou wilt shall be the full extent of the law. That's, yeah. that's the Satanist screed. Uh, yeah. And, um, of, of course the movie, uh, the way Coffin Joe wrote these movies is mm-hmm. to uh, is to, just to sell that point that there's morality is this illusion. You can do whatever evil things you want to in a horror movie universe, mm-hmm. and there's no god to stop you. Right. Uh, but the, the the Brazilian censors didn't like that. Yeah. So the ends of these movies have these really mawkish, tacked on endings about how yeah. Coffin Joe Coffin, Coffin Joe yeah. gets uh, some kind of. Uh, comeuppance or like there's mm. revenge of some kind there's at least some kind of justice at the end of the movies tacked mm. on really at the end they always feel really really false because they are one of my favorite versions of this uh, Coffin Joe did a TV special at one point where he kidnapped this couple and they said they wanted to say no human beings are inherently moral right they're kind beings he's like if I were to torture you for like a week you would not be moral. And he like mm-hmm. ca- captures them and keeps them in a torture dungeon and ends up right. killing them. And like one of them ends up drinking the other's blood out of desperation. Like he tales from the yeah. crypt kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, Evil. and then he kills them and then he eats them. <laughs> like, ah. The last scene is like, he, like him picking up like a really unconvincing rubber foot off of a plate and pretending to eat it. I've never um, seen these movies, but I, I, I really admire how subtle they sound. Yeah, they're they're yeah, really really kind just, of nuanced. Yeah, um, but in that one where it's like he and his like ghouls are all sitting around a table eating human meat, the the Bra- the Brazilian censors went in with it like a nail or a needle uh, and animated in on the actual film strips like a lightning bolt like coming in to strike him dead, <laughs> and they cut in this like thunder sound effect. Oh, and God got him! Look, there it is. We scratched in a lightning bolt, and then there's like this really fake. Pucci went back to his home planet. Intertitle at the end saying, "But God got him in the end." Like they, <laughs> they couldn't do anything about I that. I appreciate one. that they at least let the movie come out. They could have yeah. said no, I suppose. But <laughs> God, that's so ridiculous. But yeah, um, those Coffin Joe movies are, are something else. I really gotta get. It, I really gotta sit if, down. If you're a horror those. fan. They're, they're kind of a necessity. I, I really need to sit down with Arrow this Video they has put, put out a, a, a Coffin Joe yeah. box set. I want it. It costs 100 bucks. I can't afford I it. I was going to get it for you for Christmas, but then it was, com- it was coming out after Christmas, and I was like, I have to get you something you can open on Christmas. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Yeah. Um, all right. I don't have anything nearly that salacious, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I do have something uh, a little abstract. Uh, we've talked about you know the devil being literal. We've talked about the devil being lovelorn. We've talked about the devil being uh, sort of the monstrousness inside all of us. We talked about the devil mm. being 
Jesus in some weird way. Uh, what if the devil was a tube of green goo? Oh, I hate Prince of Darkness. I have grown to love uh, Prince of Darkness. I, I don't hate Prince of Darkness. Okay. I'll, I'll say that it's one of Carpenter's weaker films. I used to say that too, and um, I've, I've come around on it. Right. Uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness uh, was made during when, when it was a really good time to be John Carpenter. It was just nothing but, even when the movies weren't hits, they were brilliant. Like, the thing tanked, but it was brilliant. From like the from like a Dark Star to I'm trying to think where the, where like the cutoff is maybe at, maybe after Big Trouble in Little China yeah I, I can't remember if he did Mem- anything bef- between that and Memoirs of an Invisible Man because that was definitely he, Memoirs of Invisible Man was where it started turning was, down yeah well that he was too uh, he was for hire no no and he, he was like brought in like I think someone else got fired on that and he he came in or something but. Uh, I think it was going to be Ivan Reitman did it, if memory serves, and then he ended up great, coming Great in. special effects. Though, I, it's not a bad movie, actually. It's just not a particularly good movie, either. Um, but, uh, but like, seriously, from, like, the from like the mid-70s to the late 80s, John oh, Carpenter uh, could kind of do no wrong. Uh, mm. Let's see. Um, Dark Star, Assault on President yep. Kentucky, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York. These are all great movies. Yes. Uh, the Thing, Christine, Starman, mm-hmm. Big Trouble in the Little Channel, then Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Then he did They Live. Which is great. And, and then then those memoirs of an invisible man. Okay, so everything yeah. up until they live is just nothing but bangers. And he did uh, a few good ones after that. Well, but I, like, I love In the Mouth of Madness, which is the next yeah, movie. I'm just saying, um, just saying it, it's a little, it gets a little spottier in the 90s. And then, you know, but, but regardless, it's a hell of a run. Prince of Darkness is one of his weirder concepts. And the idea is this. Uh... There is a dilapidated old church. It's like a couple hundred years old. It's been there since basically the Catholics found their way into California. Um, and uh, the priest who ran the place died, and Donald Pleasance comes in to check the place out, and he finds in the basement something unthinkable. And right. it Gigan- is. It's a gigantic thermos of NyQuil. It's, it's a gigantic thermos of glowing green goo, yeah. and he doesn't know what the hell it is. And there's enough sort of like lore and uh, uh, sort of like you know ancient scribblings that suggests that it is, it is pure concentrated evil. But he doesn't want to take that for granted and so he invites a whole bunch of scientists to come in. Think like people from like a local school. Hmm. Like uh, uh, Victor Wong uh, plays this like physics professor like theoretical physics and he's talking about you know all these wild concepts that sound like magic. Uh, and he brings all of his crew in and they're just going to investigate. They're going to figure out what the, what is this stuff? What does it do? Why does it have such bizarre properties? Well, well, how old is it? All that kind of stuff. And as they spend the the weekend there, um, things get worse and worse and worse and scarier. Uh, the the sort of the the people around them, the people. It's a very uh, rundown part of town. Uh, people living on the streets and uh, various degrees of desperation. Uh, they are being uh, I- I- affected. By the evil that is being mm-hmm. sort of emanating now from the church, uh, people get uh, possessed. People get like trapped in a closet, and they're trying to claw their way out through the back of the closet because there's a demon in the other room, and all that stuff is just wonderfully filmed. Like it's so fucking creepy. And then there's this ridiculous bit where Alice Cooper plays a homeless guy who stabs someone with a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a See, weird gag. It's, it's, it's that kind of stuff that it's, kind of puts me off. Of there's a couple of weird, wacky bits that really undermines just how intense and thoughtful a treatise it's, on evil and like what what is it? What if evil? 
was a physical substance. Was a physical. What if evil was tangible? What if mm. evil wasn't an idea? What if it was something you could touch? What if it had scientific properties? What would that mean? Mm. And that ends up going into. I'm pretty sure it involves time travel at some point. Like, it gets really fucking ambitious and bizarre. It's one of my favorite Carpenter scores because it's just nothing but dread. Yeah. Um, I saw it the first time, and it's just not what I expected from a movie. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Well, it, it's all it, over the place it, in it some doesn't, regards. It doesn't hang together. I, yeah. uh, the, the plot doesn't really come to, like, any kind of... Con- tangible conclusion there's a lot of there's a lot of fun visual stuff in it uh you know there's like this mirror portal which is like cool um somebody gets possessed but the makeup is terrible uh uh the idea that evil is this physical substance but the way he decided to make it look like this giant swirling green thermos is Mm -hmm. a little bit of a strange visual choice you know again I, i agree that that's ridiculous but at the same time it would be ridiculous and if it was almost anything really you know i I suppose the fact that it looks ridiculous is actually disarming Mm. you know and i find that that's something i find actually kind of interesting and challenging i disagree that it doesn't have an ending i actually think if you really sort of look at the ending and really if you've watched it recently and if you think Mm. about it It, the ending has has been a second but the the ending i think is like really deeply apocalyptic and this is considered part of uh his apocalypse trilogy Mm. uh along with the thing and um and in the mouth of madness and in the mouth of madness they're all films about basically things that could or will in the narrative and the world um and they're all very bleak films yeah uh and this one this one there's something just deeply unnerving about it and i the the thing that keep it that keeps it like from even being close to my number one is the the weird tonal shifts that, <laughs> like the whole Alice Cooper thing is absurd, mm. but the ending freaks me the fuck out. Well, the, the sound design at the end yeah. is what really freaks oh, me yeah. out yeah, because very, uh, there's some nightmare. flash forwards throughout the movie where we get to see bits of like consumer grade VHS footage. Mm-hmm. Of somebody else, and like not yeah. even a character in the movie, approaching the church and like trying to go inside. Yeah, but the sound is like really thin and distant. You have to like yeah. listen really closely to hear what like the the cameraman is saying. There's like, actually like a message yeah, in it. Yeah, I, there's, I need to say something. Like it, it, that yeah. part's really terrifying. Yeah. Um, visually and stylistically, it still has all that cool carpenter stuff. Yeah. And he's really effective at that stuff, but it's it's just all over the place. I, it's it's not as focused as some of his mm. more popular work, but I would also yeah, yeah. argue that like being focused is not necessarily in and of itself the most important thing a movie can be. And no, I think but, that this movie ultimately yeah. has it feels like the presence of evil in a way mm. that I think not enough horror movies try for. Okay, and I think he would do a better job in, in the mouth of in the mouth of madness. I think it's a better film. I think the thing is a better film. But this is the one time he just said, nah, this is about the devil. Okay. Devil's a thermos of green goo, but by God, it is the devil. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I like it, and it's one of the, the first time I saw it, and I didn't know what I was getting into, and it was mm. super weird, and I didn't like it. Then I watched it again, and I was able to find the rhythm. I was able to like right. start realizing what it was doing and enjoy it on its own terms. Uh, and it's grown on me over time, and I think it's fucking great. Right. What's your next pick? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
Um, I'm going to choose the Lords of Salem. Oh, that's my next. That's, that's pick. a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. One. Um, I think it's Rob Zombie's best movie. Uh, it's up there. Yeah, one of the top two. I, think. Um, I'm, I, I like the Devil's Rejects as well. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it's but that and the director's cut of Halloween two. I haven't seen the director's cut of it's, Halloween it's, too. It's better. I've seen the theatrical cut, and that's garbage. Yeah, um, it's more focused, and it works better than the okay. director's cut. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rob Zombie, interesting filmmaker. He was, you know, was a rocker. He was in White Zombie, and then he was Rob Zombie, and then he started directing movies. He was always interested in horror. Couldn't you tell? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he made House of One Thousand Corpses, which was every idea he's ever had just mm-hmm. sort of crammed sideways into a movie. Uh, interesting visual stuff. Not 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 much of a movie. The, the story of that movie is weird because he made. I think he made it for like Universal or some studio, yeah. and then they said, "Well, this is way more intense than what we wanted." Yeah, and so they sat on it, and it ended up like just collecting dust for a couple of years. And he just had nothing to do but tinker with it, hmm. and it just went from more and more. It went from being something that was apparently rather straightforward to something that felt more like it had been tinkered with every day for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah. So it's a bit of a mess, but uh, it's it's. Ambitious. It's got yeah. a lot of cool stuff in it. Uh, at, at, and that one comes out and it looks like a music video. It's like, okay, that looks like something a guy named Rob Zombie would make. Right. What we didn't see in that first movie were actually his actual strengths as a director. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think he even realized he had this. These kind of sorts of scenes started creeping as the more, uh, the, the older he got, the more movies he started to make. The humanity. Yeah. The casual relationship and conversation between characters who are just sort of talking at a table, he's really good at that. He, he actually uh, is really uh, 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 sensitive and, and sympathetic to his characters. Yeah, like, like he's, a, he, he's a good director. He's, he's a good director, yeah. and, and I feel like uh, there's a scene in Halloween 2 that I actually really, really like. Mm. Um, after the, the opening scenes of Mayhem, there's that scene where the characters are sort of gathering around a table. They're having a meal. They're sort of relating. They have these hu- very uh, obscure in-jokes that are clearly mean a lot to them. Mm-hmm. And they're expressing their pain in this really interesting way. Because that a big part of that movie is recovering yeah. from the events of the first movie. It would have been great if that's the whole movie. If it was yeah. just about the recovery process. But then that's not a horror movie, It's still got to be that's a Halloween movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. drama. You can't get that made, yeah. Yeah, Halloween two, the therapy. You know that that that's not a movie a lot of people would want to say. And I feel like by the time he got to the Lords of Salem, he was he was able to do the horror and the conversation because a lot of the Lords of Salem is just hanging out. Uh, It opens with these uh, this trio of DJs, and they like to play really obscure records. They sit around the the radio studio and they just shoot the shit. Mm-hmm. And it's so comforting and great. And they get this uh, record in the mail. They play it. It's just this series of four notes. Bum, 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 bum. That music mm-hmm. activates something mm-hmm. in the women of Salem, Massachusetts, who are listening. And these three mysterious women start moving. One of them is played by Patricia Quinn from the Rocky yeah. Horror Picture Show. Uh, they move into uh, the apartment where the main character, played by Sherry Moon Zombie, lives. Mm-hmm. And... They're also just shooting the shit. They're drinking wine mm-hmm. and having a great time. Yeah, just being old just, ladies. Just being cute old ladies. Yeah, they're witches. Of course, they're witches. It's basically the same setup as Hocus Pocus. It's the same. Yeah. The basically like, oh, these people were like killed in Salem witch trials, and that centuries later they're back, yeah. and they're gonna get their revenge. It's the serious version of Hocus Pocus, which I love, by the way. Yeah. I and, think that's great. And there's and you know it's Rob Zombie, so there's all these really strange, monstrous nightmare sequences where we see you know. Everything becomes really abstract, and we see Satan. Satan is in the movie. 
in a way I've never seen Satan depicted before. Satan's like a pile of guts in this movie, <laughs> like a human shaped pile of guts that just sort of like fires out intestines. Mm. Uh, and uh, that ju- just shows up in uh, these sort of dream sequences. But then, the, you know, the, the Sherry Moon character uh, begins to sort of succumb to these weird evil spells that are drifting through Salem. And and honestly, and, uh, like, it could be literal, it could be not for a long yeah, time. Well, she's, she's also, a recovering addict. Yeah, she's a recovering addict, yeah. and that's a big part of the movie, that she's a recovering addict, and that yeah. she she is... Um, that she feels herself succumbing to this feels like a relapse to her. It's like, no, this is not what I want to do. This is not where I want to be. Uh, so there's a lot of personal drama as well. But at the end of the movie, we begin to realize Satan is a tool of feminist revenge. Satan yeah. is on is on your side mm-hmm. and will kill the men who tried to mass murder these women. Now, there's a tendency uh, in films about the Salem witch trials yeah. to empower the victims. And it's kind of misguided because most filmmakers will empower the victims by saying they actually were witches and they have the power to get back at the people who killed them. Right. But if you make them actual witches, that means the Puritans were in the right for murdering them. At the very least, Uh, they were accurate in labeling them witches, which uh, which is a really shitty thing to do to history. Yeah, so... It's, it's, it, it sounds I, I, clever, I, I but under, if you think about I it for a second, I understand the not. impulse, but yeah. I think it's not necessarily the greatest impulse. But no. I think for the Lords of Salem, they're doing it responsibly, mm-hmm. uh, because it actually is about modern women sort of taking uh, revenge on male kind. Yeah. No, and I, Satan is, their, is theirs. And again, I think, I think there's definitely a somewhat less than literal interpretation mm-hmm. of this movie in some regards, in which that sort of represents that sort of generational... Yeah. Uh, uh, approach. Um, Rob Zombie. This I, I agree. This is probably his best movie, mm. and it's a really, really good movie. And I feel kind of bad for Rob Zombie because I know mm. Rob Zombie has wanted to do films outside of the Rob Zombie aesthetic. Yeah, he uh, tried to get a biopic of Groucho Marx off the ground that would have mm. focused on him in his in his waning years, where it was very tragic, actually. He tried to do a movie about uh, a, a hockey team, I think. I, oh, I thought it was football hooligans. Um, mm, I think it was hockey, but it was something like yeah. that. It was it was a sports team. And he just can't get movies made unless they're in the horror genre. Fortunately, he's got a knack for it, but mm. you can tell, even when he's making like a truly trash exploitative film like 31 which is about a bunch of carnies who get kidnapped on halloween and shoved into a warehouse where homicidal clowns are going to kill them for the amusement of millionaires not a subtle work the first third when we meet the characters is legitimately gripping it's it, just it, them talking well the, the the opening scene of 31 is richard brake an actor i adore oh great actor uh he plays a character named doomhead he's like this yeah. one of the murder clowns and he just steps up to the camera extreme close-up right on his face and it's yeah. just a monologue looking right into the camera talking about what a sadist he is and how he's gonna kill you yeah. i would have been okay if that was the whole movie uh <laughs> and then yeah but then it cuts to aging character he likes to make movies about people like in their 50s yeah, who are still interesting and attractive people. Yeah, like, uh, Meg, Meg Foster's in that movie. She's mm, great in that movie. Yeah, um, um, I, I Rob Zombie tells a story how uh, when he was before he made Thirty One, he was trying to get the sports movie off the ground. Yeah. He just couldn't get funding. Couldn't get funding. He's on the the phone with one of these uh, money guys, and he's like, oh, "Why can't I do this?" Like, oh, you know, you're Rob Zombie. This is just not what we're interested in. And he, like, took the phone away from his mouth, covered up the mouthpiece, and said to a friend in the room, I'm going to 
pitch just a dumb idea that I have never thought of before. Just the dumbest thing off the top of my head. And he t- goes back to the phone. He's like, how about a movie about uh, clowns who kill people on Halloween? And they said, okay, we'll fund that. And that's where 31 came from. He just made yeah. it up. <laughs> the movie ended up being crowdfunded. I'm not in terms of how, how accurate that is, but it's a hell of a story. And it's probably got a real nugget of truth in it. Um, but yeah, Lords of Salem, I think it's... it's I, when all is said and done, Lords of Salem and I think Halloween too, and, and Devil's Rejects are a really impressive group of films. And I think any filmmaker would be proud of them. Um, so good pick. Good pick. All right. Um, all right. Well, next up. Oh, geez. What do I follow Lords of Salem with? Um, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I have one other movie, a couple of movies involving witchcraft. Uh, I'm going to talk about a movie that was very popular when it came out mm-hmm. and is, I wouldn't say it's obscure now, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's currently popular. I wouldn't say if you ask the average person on the street, if they'd seen it, they'd probably seen it. The Witches of Eastwick. Is is Devil Van Daryl Van Horn the devil? Yes. Okay. Yes, quite literally. Right. Uh, George Miller, best known for his Mad Max movies, uh, made a satanic comedy starring Jack Nicholson as the devil, and uh, uh, who is it? It's uh, a chair. Chair. It's Michelle it, Pfeiffer and it's and, Susan Sarandon. And Susan Sarandon, and they're all. Uh, local single women, I think uh, one or two of them are divorced, um, and they live in a small town, and this new guy moves into the town, and he's fabulously wealthy, he has a huge giant mansion, and he's Jack Nicholson, and he's a dick. He's just a, a stuck-up, like, sleazy, just shitty guy. <laughs> but he's confident and he is able to, just by being himself and being so unlike everyone else, he ends up fucking all three of them separately. And he gets all of them pregnant. And it turns out that's what he wanted. He wanted a family. And by giving these women, like, his sexual, you know, by, by virtue of being virtue, uh, in such close proximity to the devil, they become witches and they start getting supernatural powers and they eventually decide... They don't really need this devil guy. <laughs> so they decide to turn on him. And he gets his comeuppance, and it's really, 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 really great in that very uh, uh, ultra-excited George Miller way. There's so much energetic filmmaking in this movie, which really, you can totally imagine, not to pick on it, but Ivan Reitman just doing, like, just kind of straight. Uh-huh. You know, just be, it'd be good, it'd probably be a pretty good movie, but it'd just be, like, kind of unremarkable. No, just exciting camera moves. John Williams does this incredible, like, bombastic, scary score. It's really genuinely funny. You get to see Jack Nicholson coasting on his star power in a way that he hadn't really gotten used to yet. Uh Like, he would with this and Batman and a few other movies just be Jack. But... He was hired hired to be Jack. He was hired hired to, like, hey, what if you as a celebrity, you know, just kind of... Uh, uh, almost abrasive and off-putting, but undeniably magnetic. Mm. What if you were Satan? And Jack Nicholson was like, yeah, I buy that. And so he (laughs) did it, and he's great at it, and it's kind of sexy. Like, the seductions are actually, like, they're comedic, but they're not, like, just thrown off. You actually have to believe that each of these women would find themselves unexpectedly attracted to a guy they would normally have no interest in. And they work. Cher is really, really great. People do not appreciate just how good an actor Cher is. 
Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon are really, really great. Uh, there's this one really, really creepy bit with this busybody... Um, Veronica Cartwright. Veronica Cartwright. I almost said Victoria Cartwright. Thank right. you for getting me. Veronica Cartwright, uh, who is... Her, what happens to her is fucked. So, something to do with cherries, and that's yeah. all I'm going to say. It's really, 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 really gross. Um, it's imaginative. It's, it's Again, it's funny. It's sexy. It's a, it's a little scary. It's not, like, frightening. But it's that scary in that kind mm. of, like, the burbs kind of way. There's a malevolence underlining yeah. it. Well, there's a lot of really weird, interesting special effects in the yeah. movie, too. Especially in the, in the climax, where yeah. like, all, all the monster stuff all starts happening. Yeah. That part really scared me when I was... Yeah. I saw yeah. it when I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a little younger than you, but I saw, I saw it on home video right after it came out. And it's just... It's really fucking great. And mm-hmm. people do... It's just... It was a hit. Oh yeah, it was a popular movie, and then it just—it it never made the rotation. Like they didn't like show it on Halloween or something like that. It just never made like. Well, it's, it, it's, didn't didn't show it over and over again on TBS. It, it's, you know? it's about it's about adult lust. It's about yeah. adult characters who are concerned about adult things, and that that doesn't make the the rounds at midnight those well, are those are movies for teenagers i think I, yeah, I think you could argue that like a lot of the movies that became like part of like the vernacular in the 80s and the mm. 90s uh were the ones that appealed to the adolescents who were growing up at the time and could like sort of carry their banner these are our movies yeah, yeah. and those those kids weren't saying that about like i don't know dead poet society like it's yeah, a good movie but like they weren't they, they, they're not watching it over and over again on vhs it's a different kind of respectability and for some reason witches of eastwick just kind of found its way in the middle of that because it it's, should be it's a fantasy film with a lot of special effects but it's, it's for grown-ups it's more for grown-ups yeah, yeah. so i think it, it kind of got kind of swept aside but seriously if you've never seen it it's really really good i hope you see it uh, I like I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. I do okay. did like it at the time. Yeah, yeah I, I watched it. I watched it on it uh, during I, the I pandemic. Was, I whipped it out and I hadn't seen it in forever. I, it held up really good. I seem to recall that it he was a demonic figure, mm-hmm. but that he wasn't literally Satan. Again, I'm not. It doesn't have to be like super literal, but uh, I think he needs to like specifically represent okay. all of evil. But if, if memory serves, I think he's functionally the devil. All right. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I, I'm, I'm going to let this one slide. I'm going to cut myself a little slack on it. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to give myself a little grace, ironically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just as Satan might give you some grace. Yes, sure. Um, uh, speaking of Satan, uh, <laughs> yeah, what this, did I what change this whole, whole po- podcast is about. No, um, one of the most famous Satan stories uh, is Doctor Faustus by yes. Christopher Marlowe. Uh, there have been. Endless adaptations of the Faust story. Please tell me you picked the superhero version. I did not pick. <laughs> Fa- I did not pick Faust: Love of the Damned, the superhero version of Faust, which I I, I love the special effects in that movie. Special it's, effects it's, are incredible. It's, it's in that pretty movie. kooky. Uh, yeah. I I recommend it, even though it's not great. Um, it's it's see it for the visual effects alone. The movie kind of sucks, but the visual effects <laughs> are astounding. Good. Yeah. Uh, Screaming Mad George did the creature stuff. It's really so you cool. know it's good. Really cool looking. Yeah. That's, I'm not picking that Faust. Okay, all right. Uh, but yeah, right. uh, Christopher, Mar- Christopher Marlowe wrote Dr. Faustus. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously, uh, Goethe did Faust. Oh, yeah. And um, and then the, the sort of idea of Faust, the idea of an intellectual mm-hmm. who wants to know more mm-hmm. and goes to the devil, or at least a... a Reasonable facsimile. Yeah, a, a representative of the devil. Mm-hmm. 
Just say, I would like to know everything. I need to know limitless knowledge. And uh, the devil says, sure, you are now a genius. You Mm. have superpowers. You can do whatever you want. And all he does is fuck around, and then he dies. Yeah. Uh, It's like, well, what are you going to do with your knowledge? I'm going... Who's the hottest girl I can think of? I know. We're going to get Helen of Troy. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got the, is this the face that launched a thousand ships? Um. The, the, that idea, that story, has leaked into culture. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one of the more important uh, stories in the Western canon. In 1994, Jan Schwankmeier, the Czech surrealist animator, yeah. made a Faust. Actually, I actually haven't a, seen this. About a character who like is wandering through the streets and is looking through, looking for directions, and he uh, ends up in this location, and he announces, I'm Faust... You know, the character from that play? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the Faust story now. And he, he kind of, like, goes through different versions of the Faust story in this chamber while kind of, like, exploring the meaning of the story. It's like an essay on the story while also telling the story, while also deconstructing it, while also doing all of these weird surrealist animated asides. Because right. he's it's Jan Schmackmeyer, and that's, yeah. uh, that's what he does. Very surreal, um, does a lot of stop motion, brilliant filmmaker. Yeah. I'm very fond of movies that and that uh, sort of comment on the medium, stories that comment on their uh, existence as stories, because yeah. there's an inherent artificial artificiality to all fiction, because it's all made up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any film that can sort of put that forward, uh, I find is very fascinating, because we are just sort of tell sort of wasting time here, aren't we? Just sort of like. <laughs> Spend a little time together, sharing a few, swapping a few tales, mm-hmm. and then dying. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of what, what's at the heart of uh, of Schwankmeyer's Faust. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's one of those movies that you should watch when you're 16 years old in the middle of the night, the way I did, because okay. it kind of leaks into your soul. Yeah, uh, you're not. It's gonna feel like a dream. You're gonna not gonna remember formative. it, but then yeah, yeah, but then you are gonna remember it. Yeah, it's gonna stay with you for a while. Um, Schwankmeyer uh, also did an Alice in Wonderland. He also did... Uh, he's done a lot of, like, fairy tale kind of stories. Yeah. Uh, he also did a Marquis de Sade story, speaking of uh, um, Cough and Joe. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw Lunacy. No. Um, I, I, my favorite... A lot of people... Alice is probably his most accessible film because mm-hmm. it's an Alice in Wonderland adaptation. A lot of people have seen it. For me, the the, the thing that I've seen of him that I just I absolutely love is Conspirators of Pleasure. Conspirators of Pleasure is a good one, too. It's man. a genius film about a whole bunch of people who have... They live in the same community. They don't really know each other, but they kind of subtly interact. And they all have very specific fetishes. Mm-hmm. Like, incredibly unusual, imaginative fetishes and they all kind of link together in a way that they couldn't possibly know they all live very private lives and they don't realize that through their fetishes in a way that they'll never fully comprehend they are not alone Mm. (laughs) really great it's real it's so strange you've never seen a movie quite like it god it's good yeah songmire's a genius i haven't seen every songmire movie i probably need to sit down and just get through them all but um yeah i haven't seen that so um i do have it's it takes place in the modern day and it's about a guy who like declares himself to be faust and starts to enact the faust story Uh, i do have a version of faust okay uh uh it's, it's a loose version of faust but i do have a version of faust on my list uh and i i was gonna say this a little later because i think there's a non-zero chance that this is your number one okay but then again it might not be uh it's a it's a little film called phantom of the paradise oh um 
Uh, this is not even on my runners. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought you liked this movie more than that. Um, Phantom of the Paradise. I, I, I like it okay. Really? Uh, it's it's um, overblown in a way I find to be a little obnoxious, to be perfectly <laughs> frank. Uh, oh no, it works it's, for me. It's, it's, it's not. It's not terrible like something like Xanadu, but you know, it's it's oh, in that oh. camp. Oh my god, I totally misjudged you. All right. I had no idea you had yeah, this not, little not, taste. Not 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 super uh, fond of uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Oh my god, I love Phantom of the Paradise. I love Phantom of the Paradise so much. I listen. I listen. It's one of my mm-hmm. most listened to soundtracks. Okay. Just period. Um, it's uh, it's directed by Brian De Palma. It was one of his first like big budget movies after he'd done like a bunch of little things like High Mom, which I talked about in a previous Iron List, and I think he'd already done Sisters. Um, but it is a rock opera, uh, and it stars uh, the score and the songs are by Paul Williams, who of course is probably best known for doing like Rainbow Connection for the Muppets, and he did the, all the songs for the Muppet Christmas Carol as well. Um, great songwriter, legendary songwriter, absolutely, and and, 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 a, and a pretty accomplished actor. He's hmm. he's been in, he was, he's he's, he's Smokey he's, and the Bandit. He was in Smokey and the Bandit. He was one of the guys who hires Smokey and the Bandit, and he's in a couple of sequels as well. Um, he's a really really fun actor. He's a really really fun performer. His uh, score for Bugsy Malone is one of the most <laughs> bizarre fucking soundtrack oh. scores ever. And so, honestly, it's just a strange film. Um, but Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, is uh, stars William Finley as a songwriter, and he believes in the power of his music, believes in the respectability of his music, and he, without realizing it, uh, sells his soul in what seems at first to be a non-literal way. Just, you know, mm. signs a contract with a big record producer, promises his songs will be big, but he doesn't promise that you'll be big. <laughs> and he ends up taking this guy's very soulful music. And one of the things I love about this movie is the way that, like, Paul Williams reuses the same basic riff and transforms it into different songs as different people interpret it. So, like, there's this incredibly beautiful love ballad that William Finley sings, like, at a piano. And then somehow that gets perverted into, like, this Beach Boys-esque number about carburetors. Yeah. Like, carburetors, man! That's what life is all about! Ah. Uh, and uh, William Finley, who tries to like say like, "No, oh, those are my songs," and like he's getting thrown out of the building, and he's like, ends up being like beaten up by cops and going to jail and having to escape, and has all of his teeth removed and replaced by metal, and he's just gradually being like tortured and dehumanized until finally he's the Phantom of the Opera. He's a monster. Yeah. And Paul Williams comes up to him and he says, "You know." Uh, you're you're a monster now. You'll never be out in public again. But you can still write songs, and I can still make them. And he's such a musician that he can't help but do it. And he ends up like just living his life in this like room full of like blinking lights. And he's got this wonderful, gigantic, weird helmet mask, and it's like he's a Batman villain. Um, and meanwhile, um, um, Jessica, Jessica Harper, Jessica Harper. Uh, who is awesome. You probably know her from Suspiria. She replaced Susan Sarandon in the sequel to Rocky Road Picture Show. Uh, much better singer than Susan Sarandon. Genuinely great singer. Uh, well, Jessica Harper has a very deep singing yeah. voice, and uh, 
Susan Strand has a very high singing voice. Yeah, so they but it sounds at all alike. They don't, doesn't, they don't sound alike. Mm. It's just Susan Sarandon, she has a high singing voice. There's mm. nothing wrong with that. But you can tell that Rocky Horror isn't really her wheelhouse when it comes to singing. Oh, she's fine. She's fine. She's good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I just think if you actually was said, hey, who's who's got the more impressive singing chops? I think everyone probably <laughs> agreed to Scar. Eh, it's fine. Maybe it's objective. Anyway. Um, she is a young woman, and she had like a, a brief moment with William Finley before everything went horrible, mm-hmm. and he thought she's the perfect person to sing my songs. And he's, he's she's Christine, yeah. And Paul Williams is like, oh, I don't really see it. But then she ends up like really killing it at the audition, and he starts gradually corrupting her. And the Phantom of the Paradise starts killing everyone who fucks up her songs. Only Christine can sing my songs, and but he also finds out that Paul Williams is literally the devil. Like, literally. Which is a twist on the Phantom of the Opera story. Yeah. Satan's not a character in the the, the novel. And that's something that I think they would end up kind of, like, accidentally adapting in the Robert Englund version, where there was literally the devil in that one, too. And I don't know if it's just Phantom Phantom of the Paradise made it seem like that's what it was always about. Um... But uh, yeah, and so he's 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 killing people who are who are corrupting his music. He's trying to find a way to stop the devil, and he's trying to find a way to save Christine's soul. And it turns into it starts off as like a super villain, and he gradually becomes something more akin to a superhero, and it ends in a very <coughs> devilish way. Hmm. Uh, it's fucking great. <laughs> I love it to pieces. It's a fantastic pastiche of. Uh, Rock movies, especially at the time, which had a very particular vibe uh, of superhero stuff at a time when no one was kind of doing it on the level that Brian De Palma was interested in stylistically, and you can see its influence on everything from like Batman to Kick Ass, um, and the and the score is great. There's a song that Paul Williams sings in this movie, and it's basically just him admitting he's the devil. He's called that's the it's called I think it's called that's the hell of it. Okay. Uh, it's great. It became such a signature tune that he would end up using that song when he did like cameo appearances and like family friendly stuff later. There's like uh, I think it's like an, an episode of the Hardy Boys mysteries where they like ended up in like some kind of weird Transylvanian party and maybe the people there mm-hmm. are really monsters and Paul Williams there singing. That's the hell of it. That brief run where the Brady Bunch had their own variety show, a la Sunny and Cher. <laughs> Paul Williams would come out just as the devil singing this song that was already from. A movie that wasn't really a hit when it came out. Um, I love it. I love mm. it to pieces. It's so much fun. It came very close to being my number one, uh, right. but it's it's great. Uh, I'm surprised when he doesn't like it more. It's weird, yeah. but uh, what are you gonna do? Uh, I I do like, and this is on my runners up. This isn't my choice, but uh, I I I am very fond of the Apple, which is similar yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a devil movie, yeah. Yeah, Vladek Shabal plays. Mr. Mr. Boogalo, yeah. uh, the evil record producer in yeah. the, the distant future of 1994. And it seems and, like it's an allegory, but by the end of the movie, you realize it was never an allegory. It was always like, literal, they, they very literal. Yeah. Like he's, God, yeah, he's literally Satan. Uh, the, the characters Alfie and BB have a vision where yeah. the, you know, the apple is the uh, apple of knowledge and the yeah. Garden of Eden and Satan See, serpent. The apple uh, is great and it's weird. And the only thing holding it back for me is I couldn't hum one of those songs for you right now. Oh, I could sing. I could sing like four of them for I, you right I, here. I don't find them very interesting songs. Mm-hmm. I don't. Whereas Phantom of the Paradise, I could probably do the whole soundtrack for you right now. You, you don't know the Vladik Shayball's Yes, I Know How to Be a Master, that song? Nope. No. <laughs> I've seen it twice. This, none of them really click with me. And I'm usually pretty good at LA. About... Everybody does it her way. I could, I could sing the Apple. I don't you. think they're very catchy. Um, but what are you gonna do? 
<laughs> but there's a song about taking speed in that the apple. I don't I don't disrespect it. Uh, I just I think the thing that's take that's taking it down a notch mm-hmm. is it's a musical, and I don't particularly care for the music. Fair. It, it's it's certainly worth watching. It's really really weird. Yeah, see, uh, seek it know, out. Uh, we, yeah. we we need to mention Mark Edward Hoyk for yes. like. <clears throat> Almost single-handedly resurrecting it. It was lost to yeah. time. The fact he's, that people know who, what the Apple yeah, is is probably today, because Mark Edward Hoyt. Yeah, Mar- yeah, Mark wanted to put it back in the Midnight Movie Circuit. He's like, this has got to be a cult thing. And he was right. It caught on. Yep. He wasn't credited because he was just some theater programmer somewhere. But yeah, yeah it was, it's Mark Edward Hoyt. Let's give him credit. I miss the days yeah. when, when movies could just sort of pop up on the Midnight Movie Circuit and then mm-hmm. just start popping up more and then all of a sudden this completely obscure thing is now a huge hit I, can't, I think the last time when that happened was like the Miami Connection uh, I'm not sure if Ma- Miami Connection or Samurai Cop one of those two was resurrected I think Miami Connection was a bigger yeah. phenomenon it's, it's a bigger than, deal so yeah. I think it's, that's the one I think of but like yeah it's been I'm a not, while since, sure that's, since that's led to movies resurgence did, did New York Ninja get like any traction or? not really no it's uh, neat but it never really uh, caught on that's too bad. Uh, New York Ninja was this movie that um, I think Vinegar Syndrome put it out. They rescued it. It was like a well, they they was a, kind of finished it. Like well, yeah. A, yeah, they, they found a, a soundless print. Yeah, there's an this, un- soundless unedited print. This really ambitious, independent, new, uh, shot in New York City ninja vigilante movie, and it's 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 ridiculous. But yeah, they, there was no soundtrack, and so they well, there was no hired sound- people to finish it. There was no soundtrack, and there was no uh, finished cut. Yeah. They just had they had all of the raw footage, so yeah. they kind of had to figure out what the movie was yeah. with no sound, and then they hired actors to dub in the dialogue. They, they hired like lip readers, but they cleaned it up. It's pristine. It looks great. It yeah. looks good. It's a genuinely impressive like achievement what they able to do. And I'm bummed that it didn't make a bigger splash yeah. in the sort of indie market when it came out. But well, like, if you've never seen it, it's worth checking out if you like that kind of uh, you know. Is cult cinema there's an unfortunate uh, sort of life cycle a lot of these cult movies especially the like more outsider ones the really outre ones uh, even stuff like The Room people will uh, the cult aficionados you know the people who like to sort of delve into the trenches will find it and mm. they'll kind of attach themselves to it they'll have bad movie nights this is really odd you guys mm. we need to watch something like New York Ninja we need to watch Troll 2 yeah uh, and you know that it'll sort of cycle through those cult circles and eventually it'll get a little too much traction. Yeah. It'll become it's a little, little bit overhyped. It'll become yeah. a little overhyped. It'll become a little mainstream. And after a while, it becomes a lot less fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It's like the mystery is gone. It becomes it, an institution. Yeah. It's, it's no longer cult. It becomes weirdly mainstream. Yeah. The, and it's, the, it's only mainstream to a small group, to be fair. Like, most people haven't seen Miami Connection. Still, um, well, it's, it's, it's I, I, becoming I don't more... know how widely known it is, but yeah, you, saying, can't, I think you can't really sell it. Oh, it's this weird oddity that I discovered. It's like, no, everyone it, knows about it. It's been discovered, but yeah. like, it's still not necessarily like it's popular amongst the people to whom that would be popular, which is, the best <laughs> part. which is to say it's mainstream to them. Yeah. Uh, but I would argue that people who only go to the movie theater a couple of times a year hmm. still probably pretty outray. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a matter of perspective. Mm. All right. Uh, but that's but the apple wasn't your pick. No. It wasn't. Okay. What's your um, next pick? I'm going to choose the witch. That's uh, on my list too. Oh, great. Yeah, okay. Finally, um, we got a, finally we got a crossover. Yeah, the Robert Eggers film from 2015. Uh, I think it might be my newest film. Um, yeah, the witch is about a family of Puritans who are too Puritan for the Puritans. And remember, the Puritans got kicked out because they were really judgy. Yeah, judgy and puritanical. And this yeah. one family felt that the Puritans weren't Puritan enough, so they split off, <laughs> and they moved into this really 
fucking horrendous plot of land right next to the woods yeah. out in the middle of nowhere where yeah. they can't survive. They can't, like, till the land. It's a swamp, essentially. Yeah. And uh, I love the way Robert Eggers wrote this because mm. he tried to use, like, genuine period language. And there's this weird, mm. beautiful poetry mm. to this stodgy language from, uh, from the century where it's set. Mm-hmm. And this Puritan family... Uh, suffering from just panic and angst. Isolation. And, uh, and they're isolated and they're trying so hard to live by these strict dogmatic rules that make no sense. Uh, become convinced that anytime there's a doubt in their head, it's coming from the witch in the woods. Yeah. Have we seen the witch in the woods? No. Yeah. Although there there are definitely but unexplained there's, occurrences. There's, there's a, a baby that goes a, missing. A baby goes missing. Yeah. Uh, but they think it might be the daughter who did yeah, it. Yeah, who's like, played by... Uh, this was Anya Taylor-Joy's sort of first, first, mo- uh, no, was first movie. First movie, yeah. Yeah, starring role. She, uh, and she, yeah, she's sort of blamed for it, uh, and you yeah. know, maybe it's her, and she becomes mm. a little sick of being prosecuted by her family members, so she starts acting out. Yeah, it was me. Ha, 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 ha. In a kidding kind of a way, but yeah. they, they don't kid these people. She starts joking with her yeah. younger siblings about yeah. how, like, their goat might be the devil, and yeah, they start and taking it seriously. And then also, like, all of these little things that seem really innocuous start, like, adding up. Mm-hmm. Like, the dad, played by Ralph Innocent, who's got the best voice in this <laughs> movie. Like, he's just... Everything he mm-hmm. says sounds portentous and poetic. Um... They, they, they're starving, so when last time a trader came by, he sold his wife's, like, the one fancy thing she ever had was, like, mm. this, like a silver cup. Right. He sold right. it. Yeah. And he made Anya Taylor-Joy promise never to tell her, and now the cup is missing and he can't tell her, and she's like, that's proof that the devil is here, and oh, shit, this is all starting to add up, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this isn't gonna be good. Now, this isn't gonna go good. Um, the witch is the paranoia. The, yeah. wi- the witch is the fear. The witch is mm. fear of the devil. Mm-hmm. And when you fear the devil, the devil is real, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I-, I feel like the witch kind of rides that line between mm. what is real and what isn't. Uh, between what is based in theology and what is based in human fears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this goes back to Lake of Fire, doesn't it? This yeah. sort of fear of the devil is what kind of creates the devil. Yeah. Uh, and... There are some some things in this movie which may or may not be literal. Yeah. Uh, I will say this. Black Philip is Satan. There's a in this goat movie. in There's this movie. There's a goat in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, that goat, it's mm. a very creepy looking goat. It's a black goat. And there's Big, a, long, the, curved horns. There's the implication yeah. that maybe it's possessed or maybe it's just a shitty goat. Uh, that goat was not a trained animal. It was just a goat. It was just a goat that they bought. And Ralph Edison, who had had like some experience farming or whatever, mm. he was basically put in charge of wrangling that goat. <laughs> he was gored by that goat. Oh god! That actually happened. I interviewed him. He told me that story himself. He was gored by a goat for this movie. Well, good. Good. Yeah. For, well, not good that he was gored. Good no. for him that he was so committed. Well, yeah, and he was, and he was very, he was very uh, proud of the film. And I also interviewed Robert Eggers, and something Robert Eggers told me about, and I think this is because I'm looking at this movie from a very modern perspective. Mm. And Robert Eggers is desperately trying to look at this movie only from the historical context, from the yes. era in which no no hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm. Just trying to live in the moment with these people. And he was talking about how, at the time, the devil wasn't an abstract concept. It was taken very literally. Yeah. 
these people believe that the devil is an actual person walking around that they could talk to. So, are they right? Hmm. We're so in their world that maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, and I think the ending... I've, I, I've, tend to veer more towards the devil is real in this, which is why I included it on my list. Uh-huh. But there's totally a, a version of this where it, it's not. Mm. Um, the ending, uh, like the, the second to last scene where Anya Taylor-Joy is like alone in a, in a room. Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> oh my god, that's one of the greatest line readings. That is one of the greatest line readings because it is so ominous and yet also I would. <laughs> I mean, put it like that. Yeah, it sounds so good when you enunciate so well. That's something I miss, like this sort of stage enunciation. I remember I was watching, um, as a kid, I was watching Haunted Honeymoon with Gene Wilder, and I think Gilda Radner was mm-hmm. in it. And there's just a scene where people are just whispering, but they were doing that perfect, that, that perfect stage whisper. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's how I want to talk. And I started trying to enunciate harder, and I've kind of fallen off of that, but I try. Um, when I got into theater, I started doing that just in conversation. People said, "Stop doing that. <laughs> it's annoying." Don't it's kind of weird. But the, but the I think the witch. It's interesting because it was immediately celebrated, and mm. I think it was never over celebrated. I think it is actually celebrated exactly as much as it needs oh, to be. And I think yeah, it's, it was really acclaimed. And I think it's a film that kind of instantly entered into the horror canon, mm. and I think with good cause. I really do think it's an instant classic. I think it's going to age really, really well because it always felt kind of timeless. It, it, it feels like a movie, like they somehow took a camera back in time. Yeah. Like it it real, feels really authentic. Yeah, and there's never um, a wink, there's never a nod. It's just yeah, but, committed. Robert Eggers, after this, also made a film called The Lighthouse, which, yeah. I, which I adore. It's such a um, great movie. I, I love The Lighthouse so much. Yeah. Um, it came out the same year as um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And bo- <laughs> both of those movies were about two people who are isolated on an island together and the consequences of those things. When two women get together, they fall in love. Hmm. When two men get together, they fill each other's mouths with dirt and yeah. fart a bunch. No, no, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a gr- it's one of the great... Uh, kind of odd, but totally perfect double features. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, seriously, watch the back-to-back uh, exchanges. Uh, then he also did a, move, a film called The Northman, mm-hmm. which was uh, a Viking version of Hamlet, yeah. which didn't... Pl- You'd think that would sound really cool, Yeah, but it didn't work as well. He's trying to like go back to like the original concept, the original source material of Hamlet, mm-hmm. but he's also trying to play it off like it's Conan the Barbarian. Like he tries I, to make it, it yeah, a little bit more violent, a little bit more salacious, yeah, yeah. and it just, the, the mix is, I know he's going to love that movie, for me the mix isn't quite right, I feel yeah. like he didn't, he didn't nail the tone, but he's doing another remake of Nosferatu, and that's interesting, uh, so I can't wait to see what he does. Eager to see what he does! Yeah, I mean, I'm, we, I'm we, interested. We, we have two Nosferatus, but here we yeah. go. Why not? Uh, Fuck it, you know, the, they're both good. That's true, they're the both good. The Nosferatu is fantastic, mm-hmm. so there you go. Um, all right, so uh, I had the witch as well. So you get yeah, so what's your second to last pick? Um, let's see, let me cross off the witch. Um, the Devil's Advocate. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting I'm, for I'm this. A, I'm a little embarrassed to mention The Devil's this. Advocate because this is this is a sleazy fucking movie. This is one of the uh, sleaziest studio films I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's just unapologetically like, uh, to, tawdry. I, I remember uh, they covered this movie on How Did This Get Made, the podcast, which is like slumming comedians talking about uh, yeah. wacky movies. And Jason Mansukas is on the panel. Yeah. And he said he was watching The Devil's Advocate wondering if, like, he should be expected to, like, be pleasuring himself during this movie. Like, <laughs> like that's that's the way it feels. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it feels like they're setting you up for a porno. And there's a lot of nudity in the film, and there's just a lot of 
really it's dripping with with sleaze and sexuality. Yeah. Uh, Keanu Reeves is in it, mm-hmm. giving not one of his best performances. He's playing a southern lawyer, and the accent really is not his wheelhouse. <laughs> he's not an accent actor. No, he's not. It's not his skill. Uh, uh, Shirley Theron is dragging him along. <laughs> yeah. She plays his wife, and it's like yeah. it's it's. You have to believe in this movie that Keanu Reeves, who's a hotshot, successful young lawyer no. who is married to Charlize Theron, would be tempted to sleep with someone else. And there's a part of me that's like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it's it. It's temptation. I, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, no. <laughs> there's suspense. I'm willing to believe that Al Pacino is the devil. Mm. I am not willing to believe that Keanu Reeves isn't interested in sleeping yeah, with Charlize Theron. <laughs> Uh, he he plays a defense lawyer who uh, knows that he's going to that he's uh, freeing criminals, and yeah. the opening scene is he's freeing a, a man who's been accused of assaulting a, an underage girl, played yeah. by Heather Monterazzo, yeah. and and he does it. He's like he gets yeah. this guy off, and pretty, he's pretty like, morally corrupt on its surface. So it's, but, he's yeah. already morally yeah. corrupt, and and his mom is like a, like a super worried Bible thumpers. No, you're gonna, don't go to the big city. You're gonna mm-hmm. you're gonna meet the devil there, and he goes to the big city and he meets the devil there. Yeah. He's hired uh, by Al Pacino. You know who he, yeah. he's he's literally the devil they never pretend yeah and, and, he, and he, he's hired as a defense lawyer for like the, the most evil company the, the most evil people in the world yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, he ends up going to bat for all these really horrible people mm-hmm. at the behest of uh, al pacino who is the devil like yeah. unambiguously yeah much like much like when they hired jack nicholson to be the devil in mm-hmm. the witches of eastwick and they were just just be jack mm-hmm. um it was a taylor hackford who did this one Ta- and it, taylor hackford, yeah and yeah. Taylor, taylor hackford's like just just be al pacino just I just want yeah. yeah, be 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 the most bombastic out. Okay, you remember here you and Dick Tracy? That's Dude. a ten. I want you at a nine point five. Because <laughs> I every once in a while you need to get bigger, so I don't want you constantly at a ten. But that's where you're at. It, it feels like the platonic ideal of one of those late night cable sleaze shows about like yeah. sex lawyers or like. A, Somebody got killed on a rough sex experiment, and you're the lawyer, mm-hmm. and you have rough sex with these people. And mm-hmm. Shannon uh, Tweed should be in this. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. this is like the Hollywood version of that. Um, yeah. Shirley Theron is at home, and her big trial is, oh no, I can't decorate my apartment. Poor oh, baby. you poor uh, thing. This gigantic apartment that you have in, in New York. Um <laughs> And, and, like, these other women who are clearly also kind of demonic. And she has visions, mm-hmm. like, monster faces appear is on them Seffern occasionally. Seffron Burroughs is one of those? Seffron Burroughs plays this, the... The one of, like, the sexy the, demon The ladies. sexy demon lady yeah. that um, Keanu Reeves keeps having, like, visions of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's Tamara Tooney, actually. Tamara Tooney other, plays, yeah. like, the main one. Yeah, the she, main, she uh, was demon she, woman. one of my favorite actors in As the World Turns. She was, like, the district attorney in As the World Turns the entire time I was watching. She was yeah. great. Yeah. It was just cool to see her in, like, a big movie. And uh, and they keep on implying that like Al Pacino is like having sex with all these women and yeah. oh god it's just so so sleazy yeah. and then of course a climaxes with all of these big revelations right at the end and it turns out here's what's been happening with your wife this whole time and here's who that Saffron Burrow character really was this whole time and I'm really the devil and here's what my whole plan has been with hiring you to come to the city and so devilly so devilish and like all it all spills out at the end and, and Al Pacino gets to act <laughs> as the devil. <laughs> You know, saying, oh, God is up there and he's laughing his sick fucking ass. So it's like, <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, 
yeah, this is fun. It, this it, is sleazy fun. Like, I understand that you're trying to say something, like, really profound about God and they're Satan. They're not. And, but they're really they're, not. No, they're not. It's the most It's the most it's like a carnival, blunt fucking thing. Uh. And But here's the thing, and this is, this is why, even when The Devil's Advocate came out, mm. the most respectable film critics I was reading, even they were like, I can't be mad at this. <laughs> it's like, I, because... This, be- is, this is trash, but it's trash I'm really enjoying. It's trash. It mm. knows it's trash. Mm. And it never apologizes. It just leans into it really, really, really hard. And Taylor Hackford, who he's one of those directors, he only makes great stuff or he only makes completely forgettable stuff. Mm. Like, he made Ray. Ray is a great biopic. It hits all the beats, but it's really, really good. Mm. He also made Parker with Jason Statham, which... <laughs> no, and so that's, a, that's an adaptation of a Parker novel. How do you fuck that up? I don't know. Taylor Hackford found a way. But, you know, he, he can be brilliant, he can be weird. He's just an interesting sort of bounce into any genre kind of filmmaker. That's what else Taylor Hackford Yeah, he did, he did, I think he did The Coal Miner's Daughter, if memory serves. That was okay. one of his. That's, oh, he did an Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. Uh, White Knights, Against All Odds. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. Didn't see that. Uh, he did Dolores Claiborne, uh, which, is, which is pretty good. They, they made some casting mistakes. They, like, you know, were, like... A, made sure all the characters were white when they didn't need to be but uh, beyond that it's a really good movie yeah. yeah Parker and his last movie was called The Comedian which I didn't see I didn't see that one yeah um, I didn't even know this movie anyway, Robert it, De Niro Leslie Mann Danny DeVito Eddie Falco what the heck is how this do we movie? miss that okay well anyway um, anyway he's an interesting filmmaker in that he, he doesn't really have a, a signature style he just tends to adapt to the material but he always brings a respectability to it sometimes to a fault Parker should have been sleazier than it was the Devil's Advocate, I think, in part because you got Keanu Reeves, who you just have to film being Keanu Reeves. You can't really... He can act. He doesn't always have to. And he's not always asked. And so he doesn't. Um, and then Al Pacino is just filling the room. <laughs> and then everything is sexy and lavish. And it's just an embarrassing airport novel of riches. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it, oh, it, do you remember what name Satan gave himself, the Al Pacino character? Oh, what is it? It was John Milton. Oh god. Uh, after the author of Paradise Lost. Which, yeah, which, which is more subtle than Angel Heart, I'll give it that. Oh, wasn't he like Satan or something? He was Lewis Cipher. Lewis Cipher. Lewis Cipher. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the most telegraphed twist ending. Like I, I Doctor Acula. It's yeah, yeah. not a spoiler. It's so obvious <laughs> from scene one. I think the movie knows you know. I really do. I don't think the movie Robert De Niro I'm surprised neither of us picked it actually but Robert De Niro plays Satan and he hires Mickey Rourke as a private detective to track down a missing uh, rock star who had it's Radon Chong right? Uh, no no Radon, no 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 it's uh, Lisa Bonet oh okay. Lisa Bonet but that's not it's not her um, he's tracking down this guy he he was like this crooner It was that's right he was a crooner he wasn't a rock star he was a crooner and he had a deal with this Lewis Cipher guy and he tried to back out of it by running away what kind of deal could it be? You know where it's going. It's a good movie. It's just really I, I haven't seen Angel Heart. You've never seen Angel Heart? Oh my god, you got to see Angel Heart. It's really, 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 really obvious what, what, what's actually happening in the movie, but it's so stylish. It's so good. It came up on Runners Up. It was just a little too obvious for me to for me to make the list. But um, it just... It just we're not pretending. We're not mm. pretending it's a twist. We're not pretending you don't know anything. You're here to see Al Pacino play the devil, and by God, you will see Al Pacino play the devil. <laughs> and it's it's really no, fun. No, it's a really fun movie. no scenery is safe from his snapping jaws. <laughs> you know that scene in Heat where he's just like, she's got a big ass. Mm. If you want that an entire movie, <laughs> that 
And then that is the devil's advocate. shit. Like, he goes into a yeah. church and he touches the uh, baptismal font and the water mm-hmm. steams. It's like a stupid crap. But golly, it's yeah. so enjoyable. Alright, well, my next pick, my next pick, it's my second favorite performance as the devil. My first pick is my number one. Uh-huh. Uh, but my second favorite performance as the devil ever, I think it's is For me, this is pure icon territory. And I know not everyone agrees, but for me, this is one of the ultimates. It's David Warner okay. in Time Bandits. Uh, isn't he like... He's the devil, dude. Is, isn't he named like evil or something? Or yeah, but he's the devil. It, yeah. it, it doesn't have to be the Christian version for all my right, version, right. okay? It's like he's he's the representation of all things evil. If you called him the devil, the movie is exactly the same. And at the uh, end, I think it's Ralph Richardson plays uh, God... Um, uh, so, yeah, that sounds right. I think it's all person. And uh, but like, it, God, it, there's a Time Bandits is about a kid in the early '80s, and he's he's a Terry Gilliam movie, so life is shit. Mm. Uh, and his parents are completely disinterested in him, and they, they're so interested in products, everything they own is covered in plastic. Mm. They can't even enjoy sitting down, and because uh, their couch is covered in plastic. Um, and this kid, he's a bright kid. He's into history, and one night he wakes up, and a knight. And like on a horse covered in armor, like jumps through a portal in his in his wall. What? <laughs> and, then, and then later on, a bunch of uh, a bunch of little guys like jump in, and it turns out they work for God, mm-hmm. but their job sucked. If memory serves, they were responsible for coming up with molds and lichen. <laughs> like that's that's their gig. <laughs> that's mm. that's our that's our purview, and it sucks, and they don't want to do it. So they stole. A map through time. And if you look at this map the right way, if you know how to decipher it, it'll tell you where all of the little cracks Mm. are in God's creation. And if you know the right angle to jump through them, you can jump through them and into time. And they're going to jump through time and steal everything that isn't nailed down. (laughs) So they're like, they go back to like uh, uh, the Napoleonic era and they meet Napoleon and they play by Ian Holm and they have a really good time and they steal all of his shit when he's not looking. They go uh, to uh, medieval England and they run into Robin Hood played by John Cleese and they don't, they completely misinterpret this Robin Hood being a thief because he ends up just like oh well the poor will love this and like no 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 <laughs> but meanwhile uh someone has been watching them and is seeing them basically wreak havoc in god's creation and it's evil he's played by david warner uh and he's hilarious he's the funniest devil and he's but he's really malevolent too like he's a really dangerous person but he always he also says things like um God, everyone's so big on God. What has he created? Slugs? God created slugs? I would have started with lasers. First thing, day one. <laughs> Nipples on men? Yeah. What is going on? Yeah. God, God is... God thinks he's so great. What has he ever done? And then one of his underlings says, Didn't God create you? And he zaps that guy into oblivion. And then he says, Good point. <laughs> There's a big showdown at the end where the devil is trying to destroy all the, the kid and the time bandits, and the time bandits are like jumping through different points in time to bring back stuff. Like one of them brings a tank, one of them <laughs> brings like a, like a, a laser weapon from the future, just trying to kill the devil. And it's just what a fucking treat, time bandits is. And and this isn't the devil thing, but it has. One of the most mean-spirited and sudden endings in movie history. Oh, it's wonderful. I love it, it. It's the so best part great. of the movie. It comes out of kind of it kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's just it's it, it's perfect if you think about it. Oh. 
But just when you think the movie was kind of kind of have a happy ending, there's a bit where, um, like, uh, the, t- the time bandits are like, you know, they're they're very contrite because God's here now, and it's like, okay, well, you 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 put in charge of something even crappier job for three thousand years. I'm like, oh, thank you, God, thank you very much. And it's like, and he says, well, yes, well, I am the nice one. <laughs> <laughs> but then it just ends on the most mean spirited note that you could possibly imagine, which is a very early Gilliam thing to do. Um, a Time Bandits is one of the most like wonderfully imaginative uh, films, and it was a hit. It was a hit. It's, it was it's, a blockbuster. It's, it's very odd. It's very it's yeah. Terry Gilliam, and yeah. he di- tends to direct pretty chaotic movies. Yeah, I, but most of them aren't hits. But this one was a big, yeah. big success. He was able to ride this for a while, and he's done a couple different Devil because uh, the Devil was also in the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. That's true. It was played um, by uh, Tom by Waits. Tom Waits. That's a good one. That's a good one. Playing himself essentially. Yeah. It, the, that that one was kind of undermined because Heath Ledger died, and they yeah, had to like, kind of find a way to. It, fortunately, the structure of the movie kind of gave him an out. I think you, they found a clever way to do that. They filmed because yeah. the idea is the imaginary of Doctor Parnassus is uh, you know you you walk through this thing and you go into this kind of weird dreamscape, and they had filmed most if not all of the scenes of Heath Ledger in the real world, mm. and they hadn't done any of the dream stuff yet. So what so they, they did was every time they, he entered they filmed, a portal, they filmed an opening sequence where yeah. they find the portal. Another character mm. finds the portal. They go through and they find that they've transformed. Yes. They look different in the dream world. Yeah, so now this is just part of this film's mm. internal logic, and so he walks through the door, and all of a sudden, he's Colin Farrell, I think it is. Uh, it's Colin Col- Farrell, Jude Law, and Johnny Depp, Johnny right? Depp, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so that's that's the gag. It's a little... It's, it's putting a hat on a hat, but you're kind of stuck. Yeah. Like, what else can you do? Uh, and it's a miracle it works as well as it does. And Tom Waits is a great, is a great uh, devil. In fact, I think... Um, uh, Terry Gilliam almost made a movie called The Defective Detective... That's right. Uh, and it's a great script, and it's about uh, a little girl who is living in a terrible world, and she goes missing, and this detective is trying to find her, and she finds out she went into like an Alice in Wonderland-type fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And this this is good for her. This is where she wanted to go. But when he follows her into it, he's so bitter and depressed and cynical that his cynicism infects the world. And when he meets the devil... Mm-hmm. And the devil is very classical devil, you know, lots of tangos, lots of, you know, you know, classical iconography. And he explains, that's not evil. Let me tell you what evil is. And he basically explains capitalism. And the, <laughs> and the devil is like, interesting. And then when he leaves the fantasy world and comes back, the devil has turned it into, like, America. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's, 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 been done. that's very Gilliam. It would have been a very, yeah. very good movie. It never came to fruition, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so anyway, Time Bad. It's, it's great. David Warner's hilarious. Uh, brilliant. And we are right at number one. Um, so, uh, uh, the devil is the, the adversary. The yes. devil, the devil uh, represents um, true, true evil. Yes, temptation, yeah. um, Green goo. darkness. Yeah, uh, the, the the darkness that is within all of us. Okay, uh, we need. Uh, I feel like the best kinds of devil movies are the ones where we can have a balance, either a human balance or a divine balance. Okay, where we get to sort sort of see uh, the forces of human decency and goodness mm. clash against the forces of evil. Did you pick Oh God, You Devil? Oh God, no. <laughs> First of all, I saw half of that on TV when I was a kid and I have not been moved to go see that. I also rest. never finished that movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't choose Oh God, You Devil with George Burns as God and the times. Devil. Oh my God. Uh. Uh, and this is a movie about sort of the kind of a fight for children. That okay. the devil doesn't just want to like corrupt people. It's actually is this insidious force trying to get under children's skin. 
Okay. Uh, specifically, the devil wants Lupita to steal a doll. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is your number one. This is my number one. This is literally okay. I, right. you're, you're, I, I thought you'd hate me for this. But I don't this hate is my number you one. for it, but it's, uh, it is it is maybe the mm. sassiest pick you've ever had. <laughs> so, to balance the evil of Satan, we have none other than Santa Claus in the 1959 Rene Cardona movie Santa Claus. Yes. As immortalized by Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm. But, unlike the other Christmas movie that they did, mm. uh, at least initially. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Martians. You can actually watch Santa Claus without the commentary, and it's still fun. And it's fun, and it is so damn weird. It's a um, weird fucking film, man. Yeah, Satan is in hell. Yes. Saying, there are too many happy children. Too many good kids. And I hate Santa. Yeah. Santa is a force of generosity mm-hmm. and goodness in the world. Inspires children to be better. And, yeah. and I need him to be mad. I'm going to make Santa Claus mad. Yeah. And he sends uh, one of his underlings. Yeah. Pitch is the character's name. Yeah. Bright to red go, horns, yeah, bright, exactly what you big think. Big tall horns, yeah. the red pajamas, everything. Uh, red face paint. Yeah. Looks co- totally ridiculous. Disappears with a little uh, piano arpeggio. Yeah. And if he fails to make Santa Claus mad, mm-hmm. Satan will feed him chocolate ice cream. No! Which Satan which demons hate. Now, when you're five, <laughs> this, we talked about how the witch is living in the heads of these Puritans mm-hmm. and that the devil is real for them. When you're five, that's the way the universe works. Mm-hmm. Devils are the opposite of your values. Sure. You love chocolate ice cream? Demon hates chocolate ice cream. Right. You love Santa Claus? Demon hates Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. You, know you, who you like are, air conditioning? Devil hates, devil hates air conditioning. <laughs> you really want a doll? You know the devil wants you to take that doll. But you know who doesn't want you to take that doll? Santa. Santa. Not God. Not God. No, no, no. There's no <laughs> Jesus in this universe. There's no Jesus. There's, there's, there's Santa Claus and there's, and there's Merlin. Merlin the magician. <laughs> but the God is weirdly absent. Mm. There's, a, there's an argument to be made, I think, mm. that the narrator is God. The narrator is God or... Mm-hmm. This is a secular universe, Possibly with, no, secular universe. with no God. Yes, with just uh, with a saint giving out presents magically. Not magically, technologically. Uh, Santa lives. Any in... science sufficiently advanced can <laughs> distinguish magic. Santa lives not at the North Pole, but yeah. in a sky castle, mm-hmm. floats in the clouds, mm-hmm. and spies on the children using neighbor. like mm. telescopes and surveillance equipment. The surveillance equipment is, and, by the way, is a, is a artific- satellite dish with an ear on it. And, it's and terrifying. A, and it's yeah, this artily, artificially intelligent robot face with this big, disturbingly sexual, pulsating mouth yeah. that it speaks out of. Yeah, he flies around. Not with magic reindeer, no, 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 but no, with no. robot reindeer. Yeah, they're toys. But, mm. what, but here's the thing. When you crank them out, <sighs> they start laughing maniacally. Yeah. Like the, the, like <laughs> like the rocking horse from Prom terrifying. Night 2. Mm. Like, <laughs> really freaky. Um, that but, rocking horse freaked me out in Prom Night 2. Right? It's really scary. So, uh, so But the plot of the movie is uh, it's, it's Christmas. Santa Claus is flying around. And uh, Pitch is trying to corrupt children got a couple of underlings. He can only really get three kids. He's not very good at this job. Uh, but well, they're going to try to... He has a bunch of uh, children that he's rescued mm-hmm. and now live with him in, in the Sky Castle. And yeah, from Santa all over Claus, the world. Not Sa- Santa yeah, Claus. Yeah, you can be first, yeah. 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 
Uh, is it clear that they're rescued? I just thought they lived there. I don't know. If right, maybe they just live there. They just, they just sort of. He doesn't have elves. He has. He has child labor. Hmm. We're not going to engage with that at all. <laughs> That's never going to be a thing. Um, uh, no, uh, Santa Claus is played by an actor named Jose Elias Moreno, mm-hmm. who is uh, known in Mexico for. Uh, like playing heavies yeah. and villains. Yeah. It'd be like if hiring Robert Englund to play Santa Claus. Like it'd be I mean, feel a little odd. Now Robert Englund is a very talented actor. He, he could play it. Santa Claus. He'd be great. Uh, but thanks to those Nightmare on Elm Street films, he's known for horror. Yeah. yeah and he's yeah. done a lot of horror. And he likes horror. He's sure. he's gone on the record, but he's very capable. Mm-hmm. I I don't doubt that he couldn't play a great Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. But you go to see a movie and you see Robert Englund as Santa Claus, you're going to be looking at him a it's little weird. It's going to be a little distracting, which is why they probably wouldn't cast him, because it, it, you you just... or It's got bad. Or, or somebody who's somebody who's known for playing like gangsters, like Henry Silva playing Santa Claus, or Robert Davi playing Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm just picturing Henry Silva playing Santa yeah. Claus. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be great. He'd probably be great, but it would be weird that Henry He'd Silva was doing it. it. But you'd be a little, a little wary of Henry Silva Santa Claus. <laughs> It's not like he's not like yeah. you know Burl Ives. He's kind of like a jolly features. Yeah. He looks like Henry Silva. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I get it. I get it. It's, mm. it's pretty great. Um, so there, even with the context of like being a child in Mexico in 1959, seeing mm-hmm. this thing in, in theaters, you're still going to be a little off, like put off by this weird movie. Yeah, it's a very strange film. It's very, but it's it's memorable. Yes, very memorable. It has great Christmas spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's imaginative. You can't pretend it's, it doesn't it's have ideas. And it, it captures something about Satan mm-hmm. that you can only really grasp when you're five years old. Sure. Like, because adults bring a lot of really complex ideas about Satan. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like um, a yeah, lot of yeah. a lot of religious philosophies are for adults. The things that, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of beatific version of the story of Christ yeah. or the story of Satan. Religion tends to get are, simplified yeah. when you tell it to kids, but as, yeah. you grow, as you grow up, you realize that there's a lot of complexity and a lot of things that you can debate about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And I feel like Santa Claus Mm -hmm. is trying to go into the world of the five-year-old, trying to go into their head. And the the main characters are all kids. Uh, There's a... a, Except for Santa Claus, but yeah. There's a little kid who, uh, he's very rich, but he's neglected. Yeah, his parents leave him home alone, even though he's like nine. So he has has a dream where he opens these gigantic presents on Christmas morning, and it's just his parents in boxes. Yeah. His parents are back again. Yeah. All he wants wants is the... Mm -hmm. The the thing that the poor child there's a there's a little girl named Lupita yeah uh, and all she wants is a dolly but she has loving parents mm-hmm. she she's got what that kid wants that kid just would would just give up everything just to have his parents and she well she wouldn't give up her parents there's <laughs> she's mm. she's she would just like a doll. And it's one of those things where it's like... It, it, this is one of those things, though, and it's, this happens a lot in movies where Santa Claus turns out to be real. Because at some point you have to ask yourself, if Santa Claus is real, why don't poor kids get more presents? Yeah. And Santa Claus brings that up mm-hmm. and doesn't answer that question. <laughs> there isn't a good... I guess Lupita wasn't good last year. <laughs> That's all we can say. It's not clear at all. Um, Santa Claus is a movie that, uh, you know, you're talking about like, you know, when you grow up, you ask the big questions. And I think after you've been a film critic for a while or a film enthusiast for a long time and really like really deep into it, Mm -hmm. there's a question I think you have to ask yourself, which is, what is a good movie anyway? (laughs) 
like after a while you, you start to you start to doubt that um, well you, you realize that formal ideas of quality you know it's got to have this kind of character arc it's got to have these beats and this it, it, the cinematography has to be just so and you realize that's taste Mm. That's not. There's nothing objective it's, it's, about that. It's style. It's style. It's and style is what and, it is. and these things tend to solidify because they consistently work. You know, there's there's a certain tried and truism to a lot of the things that we take for granted as to what is good quality filmmaking. But you can make a movie entirely without those things, and it can still be compelling. Mm. And Santa Claus, which did not make my list, but it's a hell of a choice. Uh, undeniably riveting. <laughs> it's a weird bizarre hypnotic motion picture mm. um fun pick fun pick i'm not gonna lie that's that's a good one uh i i i feel like a hack now because uh my number one there is a connection because at the very least my number one like yours uh-huh. uh the devil figure is bright red and with horns okay it's ridley scott's legend specifically the director's cut all right the theatrical cut is good i like the theatrical cut but the original director's cut of Legend is well, a they much... the music, right? Yeah. The music is the big thing. Because they had... I think it was Roxy Music did the music in the theatrical cut. And this was at a time when, like, Vangelis or Hawkwind mm-hmm. or Alan Parsons Project, there was a lot of sort of new age, new wave uh, kind of approaches to doing a musical score. Some of those movies have aged well. Some of those movies, the, the soundtrack really, really dates them. Uh, and it was never quite a right fit because Ridley Scott was going after something incredibly classical. Mm. He was going after, it was an original, but it was going after kind of like a Grimm's fairy tale kind of yeah. larger-than-life fantasy universe. Uh, Mia Sarah plays a princess. That is never stated in the theatrical cut, but she's supposed to be a princess. Uh, she's just... It's a girl in the woods. Yeah. It's, it's again, the, the pr- pr- pretty girl in the woods. This that's, iconography that's was need, supposed yeah. to have significance because <laughs> okay. they were going after this classical fairy tale quality. Um, she's a, she's a princess and she tends to abscond into the woods where she can be free from her princessy responsibilities. And there she meets uh, a wild child living in the woods played by Tom Cruise. Uh, they're very sexy young people and they want to bone. Mm. Fine. Uh, He's in love with her, and she says, okay, fine. And she takes, like, a ring, and she throws it into a into a lake and mm. says, if you can find that, I'll marry you. And he's constantly trying to find it. It's just a little... T- it's a needle in a haystack. Um, in order to impress her, in order to, like, you know, get her on his side, he shows her the rarest and most special thing of all, a unicorn. Ridley Scott loves unicorns. Uh, I don't know why he does, but... Uh, guy, guy, he's gotta have a spike horse. Unicorns... <laughs> Unicorns represent the ultimate uh, innocence, the ultimate uh, 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 purity. To even touch them would corrupt them. So what does she do? She pets them. The unicorn. But she's so pure uh-huh. that the, the unicorn isn't corrupted, right? No, it is instantly. I thought no, no, no. no. She fucks up the whole universe. Don't, don't demons come and like chop they off do. its horn? Yeah, they, yeah. they do because it's corrupted by her. Oh. She fucked up. All of this is clear in the director's cut, I think. Um, so the the universe is falling apart. It's a, now a time of eternal darkness because Mia Sarah couldn't just couldn't follow one rule. Don't touch the unicorns. <laughs> it's a human frailty story. It's, it's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, uh, and she is whisked away by gorgeous goblins, just stunning <laughs> makeup creations. They just look perfect. 
Uh, and they are whisked away to where she meets this world's version of the devil, the darkness. The darkness is maybe the greatest looking movie monster ever. <laughs> it's played by Tim Curry. Already it's great. And he's never been sexier. And that's saying something. He is a giant, muscular, bright red, like, centaur. He's got giant hooves. And he's just shirtless and gorgeous. And he's got these wonderful effeminate hands with these long fingernails. He's got this jutting jaw that looks almost like a doll. And I, he's got horns out to Tuesday. I, I can't imagine how uncomfortable it was can only imagine, for right? Tim Curry to go through that makeup. Yeah, nowadays you might do some of the makeup, but probably the horns would be CGI because mm. it'd be so it'd, so impractical. No, he was committed. No. Absolutely stunning creation. And what I love about this version of the devil, the darkness, evil, whatever you want to call him. He is the epitome of I am being completely forthright with you about what I am. Mm. I am not lying to you. I am the darkness. And I'm great. I am incredibly sexy. I'm incredibly alluring. I love you. You corrupted a unicorn. <laughs> you're, you're like the worst person who ever lived. I love you. And he wants to seduce her. There's this incredible bit where he gets her a dancing dress. It's like dancing on its own. And then it like covers her and she turns totally goth. It's so <laughs> fucking pretty. And there's this whole bit about Tom Cruise meeting up with some fairies to try to like rescue mm. her. All that stuff's fine. But it's all about the darkness, man. Mm. The darkness is, for me, the ultimate cinematic creation of the devil. It takes everything that we take for granted and we think is ridiculous about the devil. And it literalizes it until it is not only believable due to just an incredible bit of practical effects. But it's beautiful. Yeah. And yet still intimidating. It's never not the devil. Mm. Uh, it's a, a very broad... A uh, 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 sort of caricature of a motion picture, but it's so fucking pretty. I could live in that movie. <laughs> it's oh my uh, god, I love that film. The design and the photography is very, very good. Yes. Uh, what they needed to do is get rid of the script and put the Bonnie Tyler song it clearly wanted. <laughs> the meatloaf soundtrack that they yeah. clearly wanted to put in. No, there. no, no. I, I, it, I it, grant you this. It, the, yeah, that it, that would have been cool. <laughs> If like, this it, was a music video, it would be the best it, music video it looks, ever. It looks like a yeah. music video, yeah, that just, yeah. and it just goes on way too long. Uh, oh. I, I, I find Legend to be totally insufferable. Uh, uh, but you've never seen the director's cut. I haven't seen the director's if you cut. Ever, if you ever get a chance, I recommend it. The, the, with, when you, I think it's Jerry Goldsmith. Like When you put the score back into it, mm. it's an entirely different tone. Okay. The entire movie feels transformed. It, yeah. it really is a superior production. Like, like yeah, there's a, lo a lot of pretty stuff to look at, but after a while, it's like, okay, can, I'm, I got it. Yeah. Good. Well, Ridley yeah. Scott's always been... He, he, style, like, and if substance seeps in, all the better. The, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> sometimes the material if, is there, sometimes it's not. If the screenwriter didn't think it out, yeah. he's not gonna. Like, no. he's not gonna delve into but it. But here, the material is... Uh, it's, it's a fairy tale. It's very broad. Mm. He's given permission yeah. To do something he doesn't normally get to do, I think, and I think that's yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a great marriage, and I think it's it's weird it's not talked about more honestly. I feel like it. Legends talk about it all the time. It's, nah. it's on T-shirts and shit. You can get nah, merch to this I, day about Legend. I feel like when yeah. I feel like if you were to ask people name five Ridley Scott movies, mm -hmm. Legend probably wouldn't make the five. Oh, it definitely would. You'd, oh, yeah. Alien. Alien, Blade Runner, Alien, Blade Gladiator, Runner, Black Hawk Legend. Down. Yeah. No, Gladiator, Black Hawk mm -hmm. Down. The Martian, Prometheus, um, 
Oh, God. What was that other one? Napoleon. Napoleon. Well, that came out three months ago and we've already forgotten Napoleon. Okay, Matchstick Man. Some people love Matchstick Man. I don't know. They're wrong. It's it's an adequate con movie. It's adequate. It is adequate. It's Body of Lies. What was that other one he did with Russell Crowe? Oh, Perfect Year. A good year. A good year. A good year. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to watch something, someone to watch over me again. I remember mm-hmm. liking that like years ago, but that yeah. was that was the erotic thriller he the, did with Tom Berenger and um, Mimi Rogers. Yeah, speaking the of counselor. Tom Cruise, some people love the counselor. Guillermo, also you, wrong. you know, the counselor Guillermo del Toro loves the counselor. He's wrong. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. I'm just saying it has its fans. It has its fans. Anyway, I, I, I think there's something about Legend because I I, I don't know. I can't really point to why. Uh, I haven't ever really responded to like fairy tale movies. Oh, really? Um, but I liked reading fairy tales when I was mm-hmm. a kid. I liked them on the page, but whenever somebody tried to literalize them, I never mm-hmm. was drawn to them. Even even like Disney animated pictures, I was never mm-hmm. big on those. Okay. I didn't see a lot of those as a kid. I saw them later when I was a teenager. Well, that's probably uh, part so, of it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so. Maybe maybe I wasn't a Disney kid, so like the fairy mm-hmm. tale thing didn't leak into me. Mm-hmm. So finding watching these movies about these beautifully realized fairy tales <laughs> only highlights how little story or thought is going into like the moral of these things. Um, And and then there's the, the sort of something that's even more insufferable, the dark fairy tale trying Mm. to turn it into like, uh, here's Alice in Wonderland, but it's a horror movie. Yeah. I was 15 once too. Yeah. Uh, It's, I feel like, I feel like there's nothing novel going into legend apart from the makeup and the design and the photography. And again, I'm not saying that I'm not saying this is Scott's best movie. Mm. I'm not saying it's the best movie ever. What I'm saying is that when I think of the devil in Mm. a movie, this is what I go to. Okay. And I think the movie holds out on that. And I think it's depiction of the devil as demonic, uh, like forthrightly demonic Mm. and yet undeniably alluring. We have a lot of different versions of here. There's very laid-back devils, very in-your-face devils. But there's always this sort of element of duplicity to it. And this one, no duplicity. <laughs> very, just very... You know what? Love me. Hmm. Am I not lovable? You could rub your hands on my chest if you want. And I'm like, yes, please. Like My, my <laughs> big great. red rubber chest. Oh, yeah. my God. God, I just, I, he just know he feels, he feels like Naga hide. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh, what a treat. Anyway. Does that mean on a hot day you'll stick to him? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. <laughs> anyway, that is it for the Iron List. Uh, our lists, real fast, uh, just to remind everybody, we'll have to give them all at the end. Uh, Whitney's list was The Exorcist 3, Lake of Fire, Repossessed, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, this night I'll possess your soul. The Lords of no, your corpse. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. This night I'll possess your I, corpse. I wrote it down wrong. I wrote it. I, I I transposed them. I think. All right. Um, this night I'll possess your corpse. Thank you. Uh, the Lords of Salem. Uh, the 1994 Jan Slankmeyer version of Faust. Mm-hmm. Robert Eggers is the witch, the devil's advocate, and and hell of a number one pick, Santa Claus. <laughs> my picks were Last Days in the Desert, Stay Tuned, Bedazzled, the original, uh, Fantasia. Prince of Darkness, Witches of Eastwick, Phantom of the Paradise, I also picked The Witch, only overlapping film, uh, Time Bandits, and the director's cut of Legend. I like the original, but the director's cut is a lot better. Whitney, do you have any runners-up you want to just throw uh, out there? A, we, a couple. Um, uh, Hakson, Witchcraft for the Ages, the 1922 documentary film, yeah. is really interesting. That's a, kind of a satire of uh, like Christian Puritans. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Christopher Walken was in a film in the mid '90s called The Prophecy, where he played uh, the angel Gabriel, and oh, yeah. uh, Satan is in that movie as well, played by Viggo Mortensen. I, I wanted uh, to rewatch that. I didn't have time. I feel like that might. But have been uh, nice. I like that. Movie I, I liked a lot. the way they envisioned angels as these kind of like raven people who like perch on stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of this weird uh, design of that. It's a cool film. Uh, the remake of Bedazzled. Uh, Max von Sydow is the devil in Needful Things. Uh, oh my King god, adaptation. I forgot Needful Things. Yeah, Needful Things is that would have been my top ten. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Oh, that's embarrassing. I love yeah. Needful Things. I killed my wife. Oh. Hey, these things happen. Oh, my yeah, yeah. God. I love that. Uh, oh, my God. That might have been my number one. Shit. So, oh, my God. How do I, I mentioned, fuck this up? I mentioned the yeah. apple. Uh, the devil only appears in it briefly, but I'm very fond of the uh, Steve Miner's film Warlock uh, from the early 90s with oh, Julian yeah. Sands. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. Uh, that, that's, it's just a fun, good, salacious uh, thriller. Uh, Satan also only appears in this briefly, but uh, hell is a big part of Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Yeah, that's a great version of hell. I love that version of hell. Um, and I mentioned the apple as well. Uh, yeah, okay. So, Needful Things, I fucked up. That should have made my top ten. I honestly don't know what I kick off, but I, I don't have to think about it now. It's too late now. The damage is done. Dangel uh, Dangel uh, Heart. Angel Heart. Dangel. Dangel. Uh, Name's Hart. Angel Hart. Angel Hart is a great supernatural noir, and it telegraphs its twists really, really hard. Uh, but it works in spite of that. It's really, really uh, good. Um, Night Train to Terror is about a train where there's a rock band performing, and in another car, God and Satan are having a bit of an argument, mm -hmm. and they keep cutting to films that the director made and couldn't finish for various reasons. Uh, it's one of the great what-the-fuck so movies. So it's the Book of Job. <laughs> it, it wishes. I'll just put it that way. Um, it's 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 a great what the fuck movie. It just it's not actually good. Um, Damn Yankees is a lot of fun. Got a lot of fun out of Yankees. Damn Yankees, pretty good. Yeah. It's a treat. Uh, let's see. It's it's um, arguably a TV pilot because we've covered it as such. Poor Devil with oh, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. and uh, Christopher Lee plays his boss, the Devil. Really fun film. If you've never tracked it down, you really gotta. Devil's Advocate made my runners up. Uh, Santa Claus and runners up. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, I, the actor pisses me off, but uh, Hades and Disney's Hercules is okay. a very fun villain. Uh, it's, I don't think it's a great film, so it didn't make my list. But it's a really, it's a really fun villain. Uh, let's see here. The Devil Conspiracy came out last year. That is a cult movie waiting to happen. <laughs> Get it on the ground floor. The Devil Conspiracy you, is you've told wild. me about the Devil Conspiracy. It's yeah. wild. Repossessed made my runners up. The Prophecy made my runners up. Um, I wasn't. I, I couldn't quite justify it. I, I know too much about the lore. Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. I think deserves at least an honorable mention. He's a servant of the devil. It's it's fine. Um, I, I thought about that one, but yeah, yeah. it didn't didn't quite make my. Uh... Yeah, my own stringent rule. Exorcist three, Dominion prequel of the Exorcist, and uh, this is a cult one, but the devil isn't never shown to be literal. But it's awesome. It's race with the devil, mm. uh, with Peter Fonda. They're, uh, oh. they're, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They they end up pissing off a uh, they they interrupt like a a, a, a devil cult. Uh, right on the middle of a road trip, and they end up like being chased by Satan worshippers all throughout the back roads of, of America. Fucking awesome movie. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that is that is the list. Oh, oh, actually, one more. Angel on my shoulder uh, is a movie from the writer of Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which is one of the great sort of fantasy films. It's about a boxer who dies by accident, like he wasn't supposed to die, but the angel gets overzealous and picks him up, uh -huh. and he wants to be put back in his body, but it's too late for that. So the angel finds him a new body, and it turns into a whole thing. Great movie, great premise, great script. Very similar alternate version of that. 
in which um, Claude Rains, who played the angel in the first movie, plays the devil. And Paul Mooney plays a gangster who gets killed. And the devil is out to get this uh, very uh, righteous uh, judge who's mm-hmm. doing great deeds. And the judge looks enough like Paul Mooney that he's going to replace him. Uh-huh. So it's basically an evil Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Paul Mooney isn't very funny, which is the problem, and that's why I didn't make my list. Mm-hmm. But seriously, watch the opening of the movie. Watch like the first 20 minutes. A really severe imaginative and genuinely frightening depiction of hell for the 1940s. Like okay. I'm, I'm real I was really taken aback by it. I was like, wow, they went all out. This is really disturbing devil shit for the 1940s. Like I feel like other movies ripped this off. Um so it's 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 again, it's not as good as the, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, but it's it's worth watching. It's on the opposite side of that coin. Um, and that is the list. That's the Iron List. Uh, we'll be back next month with another one of these. Uh, and since we picked uh, the topics this time, we're going to leave it to our patrons over patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, if you go to the post for this podcast, just go to the comments. Let us know if you have any ideas. Feel free to reuse something if it didn't, if it was like on a previous poll or it didn't make the list before. We might pick it again this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and we will also include uh, just as an option uh the next uh phase in our alphabet series which i think is j i think we're up to the letter j i think we're up to j yeah uh so it would be the best films that begin with the letter j or whatever you pick we'll pick three or four or five and we'll make them into a poll and you can vote for it and that will be the next episode of the iron list so uh thank you everybody for listening thank you all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We can't do this without you, so it means a lot to us. We hope you're enjoying all of the extra stuff that we're putting out over there. We know we need to do more. We want to do more. We're going to do more. Oh, it's been a February. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, and if you want to talk about anything we discussed, a lot of people like to write in with their own Iron List picks or tell us something we missed or that we screwed up. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. We're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. And until next time, that's the list. <laughs> <laughs>